Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 328th edition of the Boxing Asylum Nuttos podcast. I'm your host, Steve Wellings, and joining me on the call so far, we have Andy Patterson and also Gabe Lewis. Looking forward to a few of the boys joining us a little bit later on. We're actually going through there off air. What we're going to talk about, what are we What are we going to start off with? We know we've got a few fights coming up next week. We've got Belly of the Weeks and a couple of questions thrown in, as always. No guests as yet, unless somebody's going to spring one on me. But there has been action during the week and during the weekend, but nothing nothing great, nothing on zone or anything like that. We've been watching. There's been UK cards on Friday night, action on Saturday night as well. And Andy's going to talk to us about a Japanese card from Wednesday. So if you're in the chat or you're on Twitter and you want us to talk about anything in particular, then now is the time to hit us up with your questions and comments and what have you and all those different bits and pieces. Right, Gabe, let's get stuck off with you then, shall we? Now, I've got a bit of a confession to make because I saw the highlights of the Soto Acosta fight flying about and Oscar De La Hoya was complaining about the stoppage and saying it was a bad one. And I didn't even mention this card last weekend because I forgot about it. I didn't even realise. I'm going to be honest, Gabe, as Derek Chisora would say. Let's hear what Chisora would say about me. Let's all be honest, man. You know, we, 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 we want to be honest. Yeah. Let's all be honest, man. We've got to be honest now. I didn't even realise, Gabe, that Cancio and Machado too was taking place on Friday night. So a casual moment for me to confess to Right off the bat, third round stoppage. Cancio got the job done. I know nothing about it, Gabe, but hopefully you're going to fill me in. Yeah, sure. I mean, I thought uh, I got to see the uh, Acosta uh, fight, and um, Elwin Soto looked really sharp early on. I think it was round three. Maybe he he scored a pretty big knockdown of Acosta, and Acosta got up, but he was still hurt. Um so if you've if you've been a longtime listener, I think most people will be pretty familiar with the fact that I'm I'm a pretty big fan of the smaller weight categories. Um, and this wasn't this wasn't a slouch of a fight. So if you haven't traditionally been a fan of that division of those smaller divisions, I highly suggest that you go watch this fight because it was it was a really fun fight. Um, bombs away. Both guys landed big shots. Uh, it was close in round one. I can't remember what I, I had um, Acosta pulling through late in the fight, um, just based on the fact that I thought uh, Soto was starting to look a little bit tired. Um, it was good going down. It seemed like it was it was really a good fight, close fight. Uh, from the early rounds in the knockdown. Um, but in the end, as everyone is, I'm sure, aware of by now, uh, Soto got a knockout victory. And I thought the stoppage was really quick. Uh, but Acosta had been hurt multiple times in the fight. Um, there was other rounds where he uh, had gotten hit and gotten wobbled. Um, it just seemed like it was still very early to stop the fight because when he got hit with that left hook, so what you saw was Soto was on the ropes and he kind of spins off the ropes to his own left, to Acosta's right. And as he does so, he, he lands a big left hook. And uh, Acosta was out for just a second. I mean, just a split second. He just stood there and he looked like he was about to go face first. And he kind of got his wits back real quick. And he was on the defensive. He wasn't throwing punches back, but there was no time for him to really kind of settle down and get his head straight because the ref just jumped in immediately. So I don't want anyone to think that just because of the ending 
was bad, that the whole fight was worth not watching because the whole fight was really pretty tremendous. Um, I really, really enjoyed that fight. Uh, like I said, action pretty much the whole way through. Good stuff, Gabe. Shout out to everybody in the chat there. Tosh is in, take aims, MB, saying that Soto was a good fight as well. I'm going to try and fish it out during the week if we can. No copies floating about at the moment. There's none of that card going about for last night. Daily Motion, yeah. YouTube, the Torrents, there's nothing. Bit disappointing, Andy. We'll have to audit it on video cassette from the back of Boxing Monthly. Oh, Christ, that was a while ago, mate. I think there's some of the uh, undercards. Uh, there's highlights on that. Side, but it was like the preliminary, preliminary Yeah. Fight. <clears throat> but yeah, was, one thing you guys got to check it out. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, then the uh, Machado fight was—I um, mean, it was—it was pretty telling. I thought um, from uh, from the outset on that one. I mean, what you had is Machado was was not really looking to. Uh, he didn't look comfortable right off the bat. Uh, he was getting backed up, and the pressure was there, and he, he didn't like it from the first round. I mean, immediately. Um, it, was, it was pretty obvious to me anyway uh, that Ken, Kencio uh, was there to apply the pressure, and he looked steady. He looked sharp. He wasn't in a position to, to move around a lot. He applied the pressure, and he was right in front of Machado, and he sat down on his punches pretty big. Um, it was it was it was a fun fight for what it lasted. It wasn't a long fight, obviously, as I'm sure most people are aware. Um, but I thought overall it was it was a decent card. Um, I, a lot of the early fights on the I guess you call it the main portion of the card were. Uh, uh, you know, I think there was a four-rounder, an eight-rounder. Uh, you guys familiar with Blair Cobbs. Some of you guys may have seen him out there on the Golden Boy Facebook boxing. I can't remember what their little broadcast is called. Uh, he beat, oh, a couple months back, he beat one of Golden Boy's uh, guys. Um, there's a guy that, that, that uh, gee whiz, who was that? Um He's a guy that was coming up, and I can't think of his name. Um, oh, is it Karobian? Ferdinand Karobian. Karobian, yes, sir. Blair Cobb's got, got a hold of him. Uh, and that fight was, you know, a, a, a cut was bad in that fight. But in this one, Blair Cobb's uh, looked, looked pretty good, I thought. Um, can't remember what else was on that card. But overall, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest card of all time. But I think it's well worth the price of admission for the Acosta fight. That was just, again, tremendous, really fun, fun fight. Yeah, DAZN, how's DAZN getting on? Is it going well? Is it going badly? I know a few of the people in the chat are talking about it right now. Also, Snake Hips was mentioning about the Paulie Malinaji card. I haven't seen that myself, but I know Rapping Rob Kelly's coming on later, about half eight or so. So we're going to drill down with him. No doubt he'll throw in a few impressions as well, as well of Paulie, who uh, by all accounts uh, was a little bit hard done to, but it's not, it's not great, that bare-knuckle boxing thing. Just quickly from you, Gabe, because you were mentioning this earlier in the chat, actually, on the bare-knuckle 
it, it's, it's brutal. We've said this before, haven't we? Haven't we? Whenever they're fighting without any proper gloves on and that, these guys got lacerations all over their faces, uh, blood spewing. I mean, obviously, Stephen Ward ended up like that on Friday night. So we know what happens when they've got the gloves on. But without the gloves or with this minimal padding, Gabe, Paulie looked like an absolute mess with this huge gash across his face. Would you be quick to get in the bare knuckle boxing ring, Gabe? <laughs> Not a chance. Fuck that shit. Uh, every fight, the guys come out with, you know, some pretty bad welts and bruises at, at, at the least. And, you know, in, in the case of most of the fights, somebody's cut somewhere on their face. Um, you know, I, I did watch that last night. Uh, I was excited to see Randall Bailey. I don't know how many, how many people uh, knew that he was supposed to be on that card, but Randall Bailey was supposed to be on that card. And uh, I was I wanted to see that, you know, this guy, I'm sure even at what pushing, he's got to be pushing 50, 45, 50. Uh, he's got to be still a tremendous puncher if he can let his hands go. Um, but I wanted to see that. So I tuned into the whole fucking show last night in order to see him and watch the poly bit. And he wasn't on because he had some kind of medical issue. Uh, I was browsing through trying to figure out what happened online and what I saw was uh, somebody from the, the bare knuckle team or whatever on on some social media somewhere. I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook or what it was, had had said that he was medically unable to fight. So it doesn't look good there. Um, but I wasted my whole Saturday evening trying to keep up with that card. And it was garbage from top to bottom. I, I really don't enjoy that stuff. It's not for me. But it is. It's It's a blood sport. If you want to see... People getting cut open and busted up and nine kinds of fucked up, then that's what you want to watch because that was it was definitely for uh, the fans that that want to see some tremendous violence in there. Um, like I said, I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, number one, because something that I was expecting to see on wasn't on, but then too with with uh, the scoring, I thought it was just rubbish. Um, you know, I guess they do it differently there. So, you know, if you if you tune in as a boxing fan, don't expect to understand what the fuck's going on, I guess. And if you tune in as an MMA fan, maybe they have a little bit more uh, grasp on what it exactly it was that we saw there. Um, but Polly, I mean, he he was boxing. Well, he was jabbing, uh, uh, check hooking with his left hand um, and and I mean, pretty much caught Lobov coming in anytime at will. He did take some hits, but it wasn't ever bad. Like you never felt like he was getting beat up. So I don't know how the fuck they scored the fight. The way that they did, I'll let Rob digest some of that more. But uh it was it was pretty pretty brutal, I guess, from start to finish. I mean, there was a lots of lots of <laughs> blood and bruising and, and busted faces, that's for sure. Yeah, whenever Rob comes on later, we'll be going through that with him. Also, Ozzy will be joining us to talk about Ted Cheeseman, a bit of MTK on Friday night in the Ulster Hall as well. Just finishing off with this Fantasy Springs Casino card, Alberto Machado, he's been found out, hasn't he, as another hype job. Weak to the body, said before, I haven't seen it, but he was counted out by a body shot in round three. Cancio, he's had a few losses on his record, a few draws as well, but he's hungry. He was hungry for the win working during the day, training during the evening, and he just had too much hunger for Machado. I thought that the jury was out on Machado when he fought the uh, Ghanaian fellow, Rafael Mensa, who 
quite how he'd man managed to make it to 31 and 0. I do not know. He was terrible. And Machado had him down a couple of times early. He looked way out of his depth, Mensa. And Machado let him go the 12 rounds. And that was the type of fair that HBO was showing towards the end. And I wasn't impressed with Machado. And Cancio is just, he's gone out there and he's gone right through him. He said, You're not on my level. I've got more experience than you. I'm hungrier than you. I'm going to, I'm going to put it to you, to the body. And Machado just didn't like it to the body whatsoever. A uh, friend of the pod, Ben, from over at Boxing News TV, was alerting me to Reese Mould's performance on Saturday night over in the Doncaster race course. This was the show that uh, Steve Wood was telling us about last week when he was on. 11-0, 12-0 now, Mould, 50% uh, knockout ratio. He defeated Sean Davis, blitzed through him in four rounds, so he's definitely one to watch at Featherweight. The vacant British English, uh, the vacant English Featherweight title was on the line there. Hopefully, Ozzy will have a bit more information when he comes on later. Andy, let's go over to uh, Japan, shall we, uh, just before we come back to you, Gabe. Kazuto Ioka, he won the vacant WB, what was it, WBO World WBO. Super Flyweight title against Aston Palikte. This was on Wednesday. Forgot to preview it last week, but it's something that you managed to catch up with. Ioka is making history over there. Yeah, first uh, Japanese fighter to win, I think it's a fourth world title in the fourth weight class, so it's um, you know, a bit of achievement for him. Did pretty well. Um, he gave up a lot of size, uh, Especially in terms of height and reach, and that no doubt after the, the rehydration and stuff like that. Palikte, you know, very big guy, but Ioka I thought he was very, very careful, very, very patient. Um, and to be honest, I thought he, he, even though he was smaller than him, I thought he actually had the the more power. Um, you know, to, to be honest, I've, I've seen Ioka news probably since his seventh pro fight. I think I forget when he won his minimum weight title against Yagashi, but it feels like the kid's been running about for years, and he, you know. He is a veteran now. You know, he's only thirty year old, but um, showed the great defensive technique, good footwork, and um, when he when he threw his shots, he, he definitely made them count. Invested a lot with the left hook to the body, uh, which has always been his kind of signature shot as well. Seem to be seen it a lot with a lot of Japanese fighters, not really kind of you know working with the left hooks and stuff. But um, as I say, he was he was he was very very uh, you know conservative. You know, really kind of as I say, he's defensively sound. And um, you know, he's basically his patience paid off in the end. You know, twelve round knockout stoppage, really heavy counter shot. I think it was a left hook actually. And um, you know, badly hurt by Palikte, who basically kind of gave up some ground. Ioka straight on top of him, and um, you know, Palikte just he was unable to do anything just to kind of fend Ioka off him. And the referee just steps in and, and calls a halt to it. And um, I, I know Ioka's talking about you know potentially coming back over to America and stuff like that, but. Um, See, to be honest, um, I, I managed to dig up some information on that. So there have been like six Japanese boxers, including Ioka, who've captured the world titles in three different weight divisions. Ioka, um, he'd also maybe he had that good fight with Donny Don Nietes, um, and he fell short then as well. Uh, coming off a, a kind of long layoff, and that, you know, I remember that fight, you know, very impressive against Donny Nietes, and he's come out there against a bigger guy there again in his next fight. Um, so we've got to give Ioka a lot of credit, as I say, because he's had a lot of kind of personal issues outside the ring. He's had a long layoff, and he's come back. As I say, he's you know had a tough fight with Nietes, and he's, and he's, he's beat and stopped the bigger guy in Palikte. So um, yeah, it's, um, I think he's he certainly would go under the radar, shall I say, as potential maybe you know fighter of the year at this point, in my opinion. Gabe, I believe you wanted to come in on was it Cancio Machado? You had something to add there, sir. Oh yeah, sure. Not to not to detract from what Andy was talking about, um, but I, I was going to mention too, um, kind of along the lines of what you were saying. I, I feel like um, out of everyone on that card that we saw, 
I thought that um, Machado was maybe my least favorite, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, whenever we saw him in the past, I just didn't really ever think that he was really all that all that great. Um, I mean, he, he's not bad. I mean, you got to think about it, too. We're talking about on, on the world championship level of boxing. So none of these guys are, are what I would consider to be bad um, if they've gotten to that point. You know, they don't just – well, I shouldn't say that. There's Sometimes they just magically appear in the fucking rankings. But um, he just never really, to me, seemed like he was going to be the next great shakes. Uh, I thought Acosta, from his fights that I've seen, were, were much better. Uh, you know, with um, – with Acosta, he had some really good fights already. Uh, and I, I really feel like he was probably the best of the of the bunch on that card. Um, when he fought Kosai Tanaka, that was, that was a really fun fight to watch. I mean, I was really uh, – thought that was a fun fight. And that was, you know, that was, what, two, three years ago maybe? No, no. Yeah, maybe it was about two years ago. Um, but overall, I mean, I just felt like, like you did. I mean, I think these two losses showed that Machado is, is going to be able to challenge some fighters on some levels, but he's not, I mean, he, he got a, uh, a strat, but you know, he's not top quality. Um, and then going back to, you know, obviously to, to flip back to the stuff that Andy was talking about, um, I felt like it was, you know, I haven't seen the fight yet, but, uh, Kazuto Aoka has been a guy that I've watched for a long time. Um, I, I have uh, quite a bit of his fights on on my computer that I've watched, you know, several times. I'm, again, being a fan of the smaller weight classes, it's it's tremendous action. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And um, uh, one final bit for the for the uh, Puerto Rican card there. Um, I believe now is the first time since 2000. Uh, seven, maybe, that there's been no champions from the island of Puerto Rico. So I thought Andy, <laughs> Andy might get a kick out of that one. No champions, says Gabe. Plenty of champions on here, everybody. Episode 328, just working on getting a few people on for the evening. Right, let's go on to the Sky Card, Andy. Well... Where do we start with this one? First of all, Ted, Ted, Ted Cheeseman getting a draw with Kieran Conway. I thought Cheeseman might have just about done enough. I was flicking between this and the Belfast card at the same time. We knew that Conway was a good fighter, pretty tall. He was slick. He started to tire and gas out a little bit as the fight progressed, but that was only to be expected as he came in at two or three weeks' notice. He managed to get the draw anyway. I think this says more about Cheeseman than it does mm -hmm. about Conway. Uh, Cheeseman has been found out at European level. No shame in that. He's come back down to British level, and he's probably showed with this draw that he wasn't able to push it so far away from Conway that he is probably British level. Also on that card, Andy, obviously Craig Richards. I thought that Andre Sterling would be a pretty live opponent as it turned out Richard was a lot taller and he was catching him with quite a few shots dropped him in the sixth round I believe it was maybe the seventh and managed to win a unanimous 12 round decision so fair play to Richards he's the one, another one who's put a loss behind him and come back stronger with a couple of really good wins and he's maturing into a nice fighter and Conor Ben Mr Excitement Andy it's everybody's world title fight when they're going against him this Jussie Kovula 35 years of age, seen better days. Ben got stuck in there and he got rid of him. So, I mean, we can't really fault the young lad for his performance on this occasion. 
Well, I didn't catch Ben and I didn't catch Richards. I did catch Cheeseman. Um, personally, I thought, I thought he maybe shaded the fight, but um, he was pretty much underwhelming, shall we say, considering what he's done in the past, shall we say. But um, I don't know if it's maybe, maybe a kind of case of burnout with him. I know he had like a kind of busy 2018. He's already had two fights so far this year. Now, I don't know. I mean, he's he's racked up a few miles, shall we say, and um, maybe he's just kind of caught with him a little bit. Um, talking about retirement, did he know uh, before this fight if he hadn't, if he didn't win it? Um, so, I'm interested to keep an eye on it. I've read something somewhere as well. He's maybe been battling um, a gambling problem and that as well. So I don't know if maybe that's you know causing some problems as well. But um, I kind of keep it on the draw, Andy. Hi. <laughs> well, then I get me started on the, the conspiracies and that, especially the Yanks kicking about and stuff like that. But I kind of really add too much value on it, mate, because. Um, um, I didn't really have the card on for long because I was getting the evil eye for the mother-in-law and stuff like that, you know, so um, uh, I probably need to wait till Aussie comes on and kind of break it down a little bit. I've got it recorded, like, but I'm not going to be jumping out my way anytime soon to be kind of breaking down this uh, Eddie Hearn card that's obviously kind of dripping with top quality fights and stuff. But um, what I did find quite quite a comment, uh, quite funny actually was Conor Ben's comments and stuff like that, saying, like, say, people are getting to see the, the, uh, the Conor Ben of old. You know, he's talking like he's a fucking fifty-fight veteran. He's only been fighting three years as a professional for Christ's sake. But no, mate, I can't add any more than that, unfortunately. No, no problem. The guys are talking about it in the chat. There, Snake keeps just saying Eddie's young roster is garbage in comparison with Frank Warren. A few people are comparing the stables between them now. Are Sky going to stick with Eddie Hearn? That's the question. He's gone over. He's flirted with the American market. He's tried to bring the zone on board. But whether it's working out or not, is anybody's guess people are getting picked off? Fighters uh, aren't winning even at all varieties of levels. And I suppose he's a guy who's under pressure at the moment. He's stressed out. Should we be praising Eddie for going over and trying to expand the market? Or should no. we be giving him grief for trying to get into bed with the zone, trying to have his cake and eat it, Andy? Yes, he deserves all the shit that he can get. Um, yeah, see, boss, I, I kind of had this feeling when he started all his pish with the Welder Joshua stuff when um, he starts, you know, as Herm does when he doesn't get his own way, that he starts to name call on the Snidey remarks, the digs and all that sort of stuff. I just kind of think, um, off the back end of that, the Yanks have probably said, who the fuck is this limey bastard coming over here to fucking tell us what we're doing and what we can do? So, um, just, you know, anything that can give any kind of kicking, I'm, I'm all good with that. But um, he, is, he is toiling at the minute. Like, as you say, I mean, the, what, Crawler, uh, Crawler got beat uh, well, there's che Cheeseman, stuff, for example. He's struggling there. That guy, Comey, uh, I think was a month's notice. Um, Josh was going to be being uh, knocked out. Fielding got beat. Um, who else we got? Bellew got retired. Um, so he's he's really got, like, what, Uzik? No, isn't really his fighter? Um, who else has he got? Brooks washed up. He's got Yafai, who seems to be taking the, the path of least resistance. Um, what are titles has he got? Yeah, I think Yafai is fighting next week, isn't he? He's, talk they're talking he's got, obviously, Lewis Ritson as well. They're talking about Josh Taylor possibly signing with him, Andy. Would that be something you'd be getting on board with? No, absolutely not. Josh hates him anyway. So does his dad. Dad fucking hates Eddie Hearn. But, um, no, I... Try to think, actually. Well, Scott Fitzgerald beat Anthony Fowler, didn't he? But I mean, they're talking now about Cheeseman going in with Fitzgerald next. But as Matthew D'Souza in the chat rightly says, Cheeseman probably needs a softer one than Fitzgerald. You'd say on this type of form, if Fitzgerald is training, he doesn't go off the well, wagon again. 
then you know you could see him beating Cheeseman, I think. That's the thing as well, is 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 Fitzgerald taking going to take it seriously after a Fowler win. You know, as a Fowler win was was at his apex. Can he can I, you know do any better than that? I don't know. You see lifestyle could be an issue. But ah you see, I'm trying to remember all the names and fighters that have been beating America recently. Blonk Eddie Hearn, Callum Johnson, you'll beat of Baterbev. Luke Campbell's likely to go and get a nice of uh, Lomachenko. So um yeah, it's uh, it's not good times for 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 uh, for Eduardo. Like, and um, you know, as, as I said, I think I mentioned it last week. The boy for Sky's now moved on and stuff. So, I think things going to going to be getting swapped up a little bit here. And to be honest, the way the zone are doing things at the minute and that as well is that they're, they're blocking fights in certain territories and they're streaming fights in certain territories and stuff like that. I don't know, man. It's um. It just seems to be a bit of a fucking ramshackle at the minute for uh, Mr. Hearn, which is uh, fantastic to see. Like, Yeah, thank you, Andy Ruiz. And the chat says, Hearn is a promoter, not a boxing man. Warren develops great young talent. Um, he, he's actually right there. He makes a good point. But I don't want to just keep on kicking Eddie for the sake of it. Like, But it is almost as if it's got, got a bit top-heavy. Everything was almost built on sand. And all of a sudden, as Andy said, few people have got beaten, few people have retired, few people have been exposed. And all of a sudden, you're looking from the top down. And, it, and you know, it's like straws. It's not really built on solid foundations. Yeah. But it looks like it's struggling a little bit now. Well, as you say, mate, the, the, the key word you used was exposed. I think the main thing that has been exposed here is Eddie's lack of talent or lack of depth, shall we say, in the titleist departments with the fighters and stuff. Okay, it's great having likes of my like Josh Kelly's guys coming through who, you know, look talented, look like they may do something. Um, but you, you just know, you know, I, I just don't think it, the fighters get the right fights at the right time. It's all about kind of marching them onto world title fights. Everybody feels entitled. Everybody's wanting to get paid. You know, so and, and and they're all wanting TV slots. So you know, Eddie's going to try and deliver that as best as possible. And if they get them there, a bigish fight, at some point they're going to come unstuck because they've not learned their trade properly. They've not came up the the hard way, shall we say? Which is the, you know, to, my way of saying the traditional route: beat your 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 opposition domestically, prove that you're the best domestically, prove you're the best in Europe, and then you're ready for maybe world level. But um, no, as I said, everything just seems to be getting bypassed, and people are jumping. The cues, okay, boxing's no fair, and you, you didn't get what you deserve from that. But you know, in certain circumstances, people are getting stuff that they just simply do not deserve. You know, and you know, it's a hard thing to say because you know boxing's fucking rough gone, and you know, you kind of say they're, they're not entitled to to get a good a good living, a good payday, and that. But at the same time, for what they've achieved, some of these fighters, and what they've you know, just no, I mean, the fucking paydays are just out, out of hand at the minute. Yeah, I do think Eddie, uh, to his credit, is a good promoter and he's a good face and they like having him on the interviews and he's a salesman and, you know, he looks the part and all that. I'm, I'm not completely detracting from him, but it does appear. And I know people say, oh, here we go again with Frank Warren. But Warren does seem to be like a sort of in the in the, in the the weeds boxing guy and everything seems to be built with a little bit more foundation, like it's structurally a little bit more sound. He picks the right fighters at the right times and it does seem to be. And look, I remember back in the day when Frank was the Eddie, before Eddie burst on the scene and all the casuals and everything came on board. Frank was the, the main man in British boxing. He was going around from Sky to Satanta to ITV. He was hated. He was, you know, we've all had the letters coming through and what have you. And now Eddie's on top of the tree. And it's, Frank seems to, he's a survivor. You know, he's, he's still there. But anyway, uh, Gabe, well, there was something I was going to ask you. You were going to tell us about uh, building up fighters from the regional levels. I think it was, Gabe, adding your knowledge or insight on this. Yeah, I think it's, uh, to me, it's so interesting um, whenever we're talking about British boxing because I think in the States it doesn't have the same 
um, connotations whenever you're talking about guys that come up. You don't necessarily get the 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 same the same discussion about people being regional level or or not. Um, I mean, I think of course a big part of that is is absolutely the history of of boxing and it comes from the the history where you've had the title there you know the british title um and i think it's really interesting whenever we're talking about these things because whenever i see guys uh here in the states that are you know obviously from the states um it's you don't really look at them that same that same way you just typically kind of cast them aside as either uh being a a really promising fighter or or not and they don't seem to get that same distinction that british boxers do of being british level or being um you know world level and so i've always considered those two things to be to be really interesting but i think it's really tremendous though whenever you have guys that are British level fighters, because a lot of times I feel like they get shit on whenever I don't really think that's that should be the case at all. You know, so they move up to world level or maybe they never quite get there. And whenever they whenever that happens, they kind of get forgotten about or or left aside for, you know, really the British fans to continually talk about later on past years and years as they go by. Um, But I always just find it really interesting whenever you guys are talking about somebody being a British level fighter or a European level fighter or whatever smaller, you know, uh, regional level things there are. I mean, we have, you know, obviously the regional titles, you know, the NABF North American fucking whatever regional top titles, but they're, to me, they're not even as prestigious as the, as the, um, British titles. And I think that's really, um, cool label to have, you know, because that that to me says something. It means that you, you know, you were good and you were a decent fighter and you you had some good um, skills and abilities that that helped you get as far as you did, as opposed to being cast off as as just not a top notch fighter is a term that I commonly use. Um, but I was hoping maybe you guys could tell me a little bit more about what you think about that, because I'm kind of thinking about it from my, you know, my perspective that I see here. What what are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, is it is it like I'm saying? Is it is it a little bit more of a history factor? And is it, you know, for someone like me, whenever I hear someone labeled as a British level fighter, is that, you know, they weren't good enough? But how do you guys view those people that don't? You know, I think I mean, traditionally, Gabe, the the British uh, sometimes Americans do talk about that in sort of negative terms. Oh, he's only British level. Well, back in the day, the British title, we've spoke about this before, would have been a a really good measuring stick, a good yardstick for how good fighters were. And winning a British title would have been seen as an excellent achievement. But now there seems to be the emphasis that everybody has to be world level. If you haven't got to world level, then you've sort of failed in a way. But being a European champion is okay. Being a British champion, it maybe doesn't have the gravitas now attached to it as what it used to have. But that's a good level, Gabe. I think that sometimes, well, it's only a small island, isn't it, as well, or group of islands. Whereas you guys, America, I mean, look at the size of Texas, where you live, for example. It's so frigging big. You know, there hasn't got that regional feel necessary. And, you know, I don't know, really know what the point is I'm making here. But you've got like the guys of Bob Arum, Don King, all these guys who've been around for so many years because they can't get rid of them. But you've got people sort of on the ground like Russell Peltz and Banner and Art Palulo and all these guys who are working more on a regional scene and maybe filtering the fighters on up. 
and yeah, <laughs> I've sort of gone down a, a cul-de-sac game that I can't really escape from here. But the I point think, being, go on, Andy. I was just going to say, what I think another factor is that the British title has actually been devalued over like say, the last what, 10, 15, 20 years because it wasn't uncommon for like say, like say people like Jim Watt or Ken Buchanan, you know, who guys who they either fought or lost or even maybe uh, you know had been world champion for a little bit to come back down to British and European level, defend the title. And then you know go back on to like bigger fights like so maybe a world title eliminator and stuff like that. So you know there wasn't again it was you know they never seen it as like a kind of step back for them. You know they want to come back, get a payday, fight a local rival, put a title on the line, and then um, probably as well it, it probably went a long way for the guys to try and get you know get further ranking in points and continue to be in the top ten. Was at that time would be the WBC and the WBA ranking bodies. Yeah, what I was going to say, Andy, sorry, I was flicking on my phone there while I was trying to make the end of that point was around the early 2000s as well, we had the proliferation of titles like the IBO and the WBU were sort of becoming more frequent. And you had guys who traditionally would have fought for the British title or the Commonwealth title, then fighting for this WBU or the IBO instead, uh, like Mark Hobson against Enzo Macronelli, for example. Uh, there was yeah, Ricky Hatton was learning his trade. I think he fought Eamon McGee, didn't he, with the WBU title on the line and I mean, the British title still was flitting about and that, but it's it's coming back to prominence a little bit more now. I know Eddie said that he was going to be using it more, but it, it's a good level and a, and, a, and a good title to have. I know Ozzy would always say that as well. Anyway, shout out to Connor Ben. Also, shout out to Sam from Against the Ropes Boxing. He was tweeting me during the... He was texting me during the week, actually, seeing if there was any value in an Anthony Fox win over unbeaten 10-0 Dwayne Sinclair. I admitted to Sam I didn't really know too much about the two guys, so I couldn't comment, but he was spot on. He called it dead right. Hopefully, he put the uh, the, the bet on Anthony Fox, got the win, 79-73, so he only dropped a round. Pretty resounding win over Dwayne Sinclair, an example of sometimes the more experienced boxer coming up against the unbeaten but untested uh, prospect, which is Dwayne Sinclair in this case. Uh, Giovanni Di Carolis, we mentioned this last week on Friday night over in Italy against Caron Gavor. He got a unanimous decision win, WBC International Super Middleweight title. Ten losses for Gavor now. Di Carolis goes on towards a possible WBC Super Middleweight title shot. Who knows who's the WBC Super Middleweight champion? I think it's Durrell, isn't it? Or, did, no, did he win it against Yildirim in the end? I he ended up in a, so was it a draw? Or I, think he won? It was, I think it um, let me get this right now. Uh, yeah, it was um, Yildirim I think uh, it is Anthony Darrell, mate. He is the champ. Yeah, and I know. Because there was a cry for a rematch. Didn't it, I think, in the end? Aye. Yeah. Uh, Andy, uh, what about Lee McGregor? Eighth round knockout over Scott Allen. Commonwealth bantamweight title Saturday night uh, in Glasgow. Is there any chance of him fighting Cash Farouk? I think there's a bit of uh, banter going back and forth between them at the moment. Natural fight to get made, mate, obviously. But um, I know Cash is wanting to um, win the British outright first. I don't know why he wouldn't want to do it against McGregor. Really, you know, you know, he, he could win the British and Commonwealth. He could win the British outright, unify the Commonwealth, and then probably go to European. But um, he's going his own way, basically. I, I, to be honest, I don't think he's in any rush, personally, for what I hear. But um, yeah, it's a natural fight to get made in Scotland. But I just hope they didn't hang about, hang about for too long, and you know, one takes an L or one moves up in weight or one vacates, vacates a belt for a bigger opportunity. But no signs yet. But hopefully, it goes, does get made this year. Hopefully. I will go to it as well if it does get made. It'd be some atmosphere, wouldn't it? That would be good, mate. Hopefully it gets held. I will be in Glasgow, I think, as well. So, yep. 
Maybe maybe the Kelvin Hall. He's got a good wee atmosphere in there, about four thousand. You know, it's kind of like the kind of York Hall of Scotland. So that's uh, what yeah. you need, isn't it? Yes, that's what you need, mate. Four thousand fucking you know, hardcore fans. I miss him saying it's a hardcore fans that go to see your York Halls and Kelvin Halls and stuff like that. You know, for a fight like that, absolutely get in the Kelvin Hall. That will be. I'm, 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 I remember the night Burns beat Martinez in there. Actually, the night he won his boy world title. Fucking great atmosphere. Talking of good old venues, good old atmospheres as well, Stephen Ward got a win over Liam Conroy in the Ulster Hall on Friday night. I'll park that one to one side for when Ozzy comes on later, hopefully, Tyrone McKenna also with a good victory. And a knockout win for Paddy Gallagher, great to see Paddy getting a victory, real good guy, one of the nice guys of the sport, excellent amateur as well. I think he beat Callum Smith at one point as an amateur, uh, back down at welterweight, really good fighter Paddy, hasn't had all the breaks and all the luck, but hopefully soon he will get another opportunity and maybe end up winning a British title or something before he calls it a day. Hey, uh, really he fought against Liam Wells, who I believe was a kickboxer at one point. Seemed like a nice, humble guy, a little bit inexperienced. Paddy got rid of him in the third round, Gabe. I know you're a Paddy Gallagher fan. Yeah, I don't hate him. I've I, I watched quite a few of his fights that, that I've had the opportunity to anyway. I mean, of course, I don't get to see them all, but uh, anytime I've been able to catch a stream or, or get one downloaded, sure. And you're Team Tetley as well, aren't you, Gabe? Big Darren Tetley fan? Fucking A. I think the kid's good. I, I, I would love to see the young man get a good shot and uh, do something with it. I, I, you know, I really don't like the fact that he's been on the shelf for as long as he has been. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess to say that, but I mean, I, he hasn't necessarily been out that long, I guess. But, you know, he, he had a great fight last year. He should have been back on TV in with another good fight, you know, since then. But he hasn't. You know, he hasn't been on. I think it's terrible. Uh, you know, I think that, that you know, I won't go too far down that road. Um, but I, I just don't think that he's maybe getting the the level of promotion that he could be using right now to help himself and to get advanced in his career. You know, uh, big, big shout out there. Yeah, a few guys in the chat are talking about Conor Ben again. I agree with you, Tommy Hearns. I like the way Adam Booth was talking up. Whenever they mentioned Conor Ben against Josh Kelly, he, Adam Booth, he's a tactician, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. He didn't come out and shit on him and say, oh, no, Kelly would have been rings around this guy. He built it up. I had a good domestic fight. We could. He knows that if they build Ben and they build Kelly together, it could make a good, interesting domestic fight in the future. And Kelly will run rings around Ben. I don't, I'm not a big Kelly fan, but, I mean, there's levels... In, in that uh, particular matchup, I think, and Kelly will outbox him. So Adam Booth definitely knows that. Shout out to H Money, the boxing voice. Hit the like button. Yes, indeed. Thank you to everybody who's there. Snake Kips knocking about Tommy Hearns, MB. A few of the usual faces. Tosh is in there as well. Let's continue along the action from the weekend. What else have we got then, guys? Big things expected of Sebastian Fundora, six foot seven inches tall. He looked like a washing line. <laughs> he looked like a clothesline, one of those clothes poles, didn't he, whenever he was weighing in? How on earth he makes the super welterweight limit, I don't know. But he caused a retirement over Hector Manuel Zapeda, who was 17 and 0 coming in. He weighed in 152 pounds, uh, 152, three and a quarter pounds, Fundora. I don't know how the hell he gets that. I know I didn't watch it either, Gabe. Uh, I, I am interested in seeing Mr. Fundora, though, who is all arms and legs, as I mentioned last week. Uh, oh, we I, meant did, I did see it. It just wasn't all the Come on, then. How far is he going to go, do you think? The sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's already at the sky, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I saw it. Yeah, I think he's... I, you know, it's it, it baffles me sometimes when I'm watching some of these guys. You know what he reminded me of the other day? Um, not necessarily in level of talent or, or abilities, 
But he reminded me of fucking Paul Williams. You know, I, I used to really enjoy watching Paul Williams fight. But I always, always, always thought that Paul Williams was just so daft because he's he he has long arms. He's got height. And he couldn't box outside to save his life. I mean, it was, you know, so confounding to watch him. Now, I, I get it. Sometimes you've got to be able to do different things. And sometimes you want to mix it up inside and then go back to fighting outside and back and forth. But Paul Williams... He, he made his fights much harder than they should have been by any rights. And that's how I feel about, about the towering Inferno here. You know, I watched him, and he, he wouldn't punch outside. He, he was trying to get inside a lot. I mean, he did land a little bit from mid-range and a little bit outside, of course, because the situation dictated it with the uh, – who would he fight? Zapata moving around. Um but he just like he would he was so focused on trying to get inside the fight. And uh yeah, I gotta be honest with you, I don't I don't see him doing too great in in terms of whenever he steps up and starts really competing at the highest levels. Uh just because I just don't see it. He he's I don't know, just the way he fights inside, he's not a bad fighter at all. I, I don't mean to make it sound like he's terrible and, and is not worth a watch, but I, I just can't endorse him from what I've seen so far going on to great things because he just has, I mean, it's just rubbish watching him because he should be able to box from outside. Somebody needs to take the kid to a gym and fucking train his ass on how to jab and how to use his length and his height because he's got tremendous attributes and I don't know if he's ever going to be able to make the best of them. I wonder, Gabe, if it was an issue. Whenever we saw uh, AJ boxing against Ruiz, I, I mentioned it on the night of the pod, he seemed awkward as if the way he was hunching his shoulders and he was having trouble punching down. People automatically assume, stand on the outside, uh, you know, it's easy enough. If you're a good boxer like, like Lennox Lewis used to be with an excellent jab, you can just keep them on the end of the jab. But sometimes it looks awkward for, for guys. Like Lewis had a lot of trouble with Ray Mercer, for example. Guys who were there finally bull rushing you all the time. It, it, it maybe is awkward punching down and maybe Fundora. I mean, he's just so big and the guys are so small compared to him. He has these huge arms and these huge legs. It's just physically difficult for him to maybe box on the outside. A stupid game, as that sounds. Well, no, I guess maybe you're right. I mean, I hadn't considered it like that before. I mean, you know, your kind of simple uh, analysis would, would tend to believe that somebody with, with a long reach and, and a height advantage should be on the outside. But, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is a little bit more difficult because he was fucking head and, and shoulders above, you know, above his opponents. So, I, I you know, I feel like, though, from watching for for quite some time um and getting bits and pieces of knowledge over over the years about kind of what you see and what's happening and and hearing experts talk about it and and you know those kind of things i mean they always talk about how it's difficult for a guy to punch up to someone that's taller but i mean i guess if you're talking about i think he would be fine on the on the inside if somebody's rushing in at him, but I do think it's going to be hard for him to continue to do well. If he's, if he doesn't learn how to do it from the outside to some extent, does that, if, if he consistently goes on the inside, somebody's going to wreck him because they're eventually going to be able to get to his body. He's so 
he's so long and tall and I just don't see a way that he shouldn't be able to at least have some skill at that area where the other night, I didn't really feel like I saw a whole lot of any skill um, from the outside on him. You know, I guess, like I said, you may be right. It may be a situation where he, he is so much taller than most of his opponents. And, and it's such a tremendous difference. You don't see that really in any weight division, uh, that kind of that kind of height difference. But I, I just tend to not think it would be as hard to punch down at someone as it would be to punch up. Um, but his opponent was moving away from him. So I felt like he should have been able to box a little bit on the outside and kind of work. But he he followed. He didn't really cut the ring that great. He did uh, in a couple of spots. Um, you know, I guess he is still young, and they're not hyping him up to be the greatest thing ever. But if he continues, then then he's going to need to work on some of those some of those I call them basic skills. You know, like cutting the ring whenever somebody's moving, um, or you know, just being able to jab and and keep somebody at the end of your reach. Um, you know, I think that's always a problem for tall fighters. I mean, fucking Tommy Hearns, how long were his arms? You know, you saw him get in trouble time and again, and it wasn't necessarily because he did something wrong, but whenever guys fought a certain style and came in towards him, he couldn't use his reach as, as well. Um, you know, and that's not a knock on him. I mean, fucking all-time great champion. But I just think maybe you'd like to see it in, in that scenario where his opponent's moving away a little bit more. Um, but you may be right when someone's coming in at him, he's going to have to fight inside. So I guess that is a good, a good skill that he has right now. I just hope to see him develop a little bit more from the outside. Yes, another win onwards and upwards for Sebastian Fundora, then who beat Hector Manuel Zapeda. That was on Showtime. Samson Lukovic is on the Fundora hype train. I just wonder with his height uh, to weight ratio, whether it's just difficult for him to, to fight. <laughs> you know, a difficult prospect for Fundora. Anyway, it's 45 minutes into episode 328 of the Boxing Asylum Notaries podcast. We are squeezing every last ounce out of the weekend for you here guys i'm just bringing up another card actually sergio garcia getting a unanimous decision win over sergey rabchenko he's 30 and oh no garcia he retained the european super welterweight title shout out to friend of the pod dominic henry it's been a while since we've heard from dominic he's dragged himself up he's come on the call welcome dominic how are you on this sunday evening couldn't better steve excellent stuff great to hear from you dominic i want to hear from you first of all on this AJ Ruiz situation. I'm going to play you in with a clip, actually. Uh, I often mention our friend from Against the Ropes, Sam. He sent this in to me for Bellew of the Week, but I think it's worthy to play it right now. Eddie Hearn was asked during the week by your mate, Coogs, over on IFL TV <laughs> about uh, when and where Joshua was coming back. And Eddie had something interesting to say. So let's listen to, to what Eddie said about AJ's comeback. What's the current situation regarding Anthony Joshua? I was with him this morning. Um... Just plotting, just thinking, just gearing up for one of the great comebacks of all time. They are, Dominic, plotting, thinking, gearing up for one of the great comebacks of all time. What do you think about that, then? I love when Eddie uses this word, plotting. He's always using it. He, he uses it all the time. He thinks he's a flipping great strategist. The Henry Kissinger of boxing. He thinks he's a flipping... Why does cooking You know what it is? <laughs> Here, I'll tell you, tell you, tell you, stay right. See, when I was working at the airport last year, um, I bumped into Andy and Tommy and Tommy's old man one day, but 
another day, I bumped into Coogan. Coogan was sitting in the Burger King in the International Airport, right? Right. So I had to walk past the Burger King, the, the clock in every day and clock out. And he had, I think he was over for whenever, do you know what I think it was? Whenever Conlon, I think Top Rank were over or something, and there was a press conference for one of Mick Conlon's fights. I think it was Mick Conlon's fight in Belfast that was cancelled or something. Uh-huh. But anyway, I sat down beside Coogan and I just got this babe off him that he knew that I was someone who had trolled him before and he was <laughs> looking up a real shifty like so anyway I buggered off and left him alone. But um the thing about it is as I said to you before, um what I find really interesting about this situation with the rematch is that clearly right there's the contract, there's it's nailed on, there's a rematch clause. But what isn't nailed on is where that rematch will be. You, mm. you can tell by the way Eddie's speaking that it's not been nailed down and whatever language has been used in the contract, it's not in concrete language where the rematch will take place. So that's why, you know, you hear uh, he, he said that Joshua was talking about wanting to do the rematch at MSG all over again. Um and Eddie, clearly Eddie, and especially I'd imagine Adam Smith of Sky and Bonnie Francis of Sky, I'd say they would be very keen to have that rematch probably in the O2 Arena uh, in November, December time. But, um, you know, Eddie, he thinks he's this, he thinks he's this great strategist, but um, I don't know. Like I, One thing I would say about, about Joshua that I've been thinking about, and I, I heard it mentioned a few years ago after... It was mentioned by Bunce after he beat Klitschko. And mm. Bunce was saying that he heard that, if you remember Josh's first two defences against Charles Martin and uh, Molina. Um, well, he won the Bunch, title off Martin, didn't he? He won the title off Martin, sorry. And the first defence was against Brazil and the second defence was against Molina. Mm. And Bunce was saying that the reason that they picked two of the, you know, two really... Uh, you know, the, those opponents for his first two defences, you know, he, they weren't the most dangerous opponents in the world. And the reason for that was because around that time in training, it was at that time that, you know, we know we've heard the stories about a Coley dropping him and sparring, uh, Dubois dropping him and, you know, do, doing him over with the job. And Bunce was basically saying that Joshua's confidence was at an all time low around that time because these things were happening in training and hence why to pick those type of opponents for his first two defences. That's why they actually even took the Martin fight, because it was probably more dangerous fights um, other than Charles Martin, not for the world title, but fights that would have been... Like, I think around the time he fought Charles Martin, there was maybe also talk of fighting Kubrat Pulev, because Pulev had been beaten by Klitschko in, uh, I think it was... Was it November 2014 that Klitschko beat Pulev? Um, but anyway, Klitschko had beaten Pulev a while before that, but um, the, the there was talk of Joshua fighting Pulev before Charles Martin got that lucky uh, got that lucky result against uh, Sar Glasgow. And um, then, obviously, the, the title, the, the chance became available, and Eddie and Sky thought, well... This is the perfect chance to get a slice of the heavyweight pay. It was too good an opportunity to turn down. But um, Bunce was basically saying after either the week of the Klitschko fight or after he beat Klitschko that, you know, his confidence had really been at an all-time low. 
because he was getting done over in training over and over again. And when I saw Ruiz put him down in the third round, the first time, what it's what that looked to me like was this is a scene that has happened probably over and over again up in that English Institute of Sport in Sheffield. And it's probably, you know, they're probably well used to seeing it happen. And it's, you know, it's probably in their minds only a, was going to be only a matter of time before, you know, obviously we saw it against Klitschko, we saw it a bit against Dylan White, but for it to happen, they probably didn't expect it to happen against, um, you know, someone like Andy Ruiz, but... Do so you think was, then, Dominic, that Ruiz was sort of reawakening some demons that were always lingering in the background? Something like that. I mean, I I do believe that, you know, there's been rumours now, there's sort of rumours now, all rumours have, all rumours are caricature in a sense, but caricatures have, there's always some grain of truth at the bottom of it. Mm. They're exaggerations, but there's always something... So I imagine, like, I know Dubois, everyone knows Dubois dropped him, McCauley dropped him. There's, there's talk that this guy, Cabal, dropped them, really not just dropped him, but bossed him up. Um, so I, I imagine, it's, it's hard to know. Like, you know, for a long time, my thinking on this was, right, he was he was winning the fights where it actually mattered, the actual contests, not in the ring, the actual fights he was coming through, he was finding a way to win them. And I was thinking, right, well, Hold on a minute, everyone's criticizing him, but he's making his mistakes in the gym and he's not making fatal mistakes in the fights. Mm. And I was thinking, well, maybe he's, you know, he's doing it the right way that he's making his mistakes behind closed doors and it's not going to catch up with him, but it clearly did. And it's what I find amazing, Steve, uh, it's really tickled me over this last few weeks since the fight. It's just the spin of Eddie and Matchroom. It's the way things like in the immediate aftermath, the devastation was spun into relief. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's just this blur like PR. It's the age we live in. It, it's it's like now uh, we'll really get to see what Joshua's made of. Yeah, um, he's still a kid. He's only learning. He's only had 25 fights and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. Oh, it, 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 just, it just ignores the fact. Once you, it doesn't matter how, how few fights you have, how inexperienced you are. Once you win that world title, you're in the Fahrenheit. You can't go fall back on that excuse. Once you win the belt, you can't flip and fall back on it and say, oh, he's not ready for these big fights. Once you take that jump and win that portion of the title, you're in the deep end. Like You, you can't you know, come back and start fighting. It's just, it's just hilarious. I just find it hilarious the way Eddie, you know, the way he spun the devastation and the relief. That, that was just, to me, is absolutely hilarious. And, you know, Eddie looked in the post-fight press conference. I saw a tweet. Um, uh, a few days after the fight, saying that I think it was, you know, it was a guy. He writes. He's not a boxing writer, Steve. He writes sports pieces for the Daily Telegraph. He's called Oliver Brown, mm. and he sometimes, you know, if there's obviously there's a big heavyweight who transcends, flipping, who manages to cross over a bit like Joshua has done. He will go out. They don't really know about boxing, but they'll go out and they'll give like a, a sort of not a, a general sporting interpretation of the fight. And he put this tweet out at the post-fight press conference saying Eddie looks more devastated than AJ himself. And to me, that chimed with what you were saying the night the night after, not the night after, sorry, the I remember the second night after the fight. Uh-huh. And you were saying that you know you thought that um, you know AJ this was like a, a huge relief for him that you know he was uh, like some sort of Alan McCall thing that he was just he couldn't hack the flipping pressure of it. And certainly Eddie looked. 
Eddie looked more crestfallen than AJ did. But look, it's going to be interesting. Like I, I, I'll be honest, I'm not one of these people, right? I'm not afraid to come on here and say, before Joshua got, ex- got uh, exposed there, I thought he would beat Wilder, and I thought potentially he might also beat Fury. I'm not afraid to come out and say now, you know, that I was wrong, uh, and that looks like I was wrong. For a long time, I thought, you know, that he would get, he would probably beat Wilder in a shootout, and uh, he might even get the Fury, but I was wrong, you know, like he, he's, um, he's just far too stiff. I mean, people compare about Frank Bruno and say Frank Bruno was very stiff, but I was just thinking about it earlier, you know, what people forget about Frank Bruno was he had a really good job. I mean, if you watch this fight against Lennox Lewis, for a long, long part of that fight, he was, um, he was out jobbing Lennox for a great part of that fight. That's true. If you watch it, if you watch it back, I know he was quite stiff and he had problems with the being too muscular up top. But Frank was—I mean, you, you used to see in, in the first Tyson fight, he was hooking, he was hooking off the job, you know, doing stuff that you don't see heavyweights today doing. Um, he, he wasn't—he he definitely had his flaws, but Bruno wasn't a mug like you know. He, he was—he was—he knew how to box. He knew how to fight. Um, you know, AJ. I'm sick of hearing people saying he didn't use the job. He, he, he doesn't have, as far as I can see, he's never really had a job. You know, I, I've never seen any, um, the only sustained evidence I've seen of Joshua using the job was the Parker fight. And we all know in the Parker fight, he was helped out by the referee. Who, you know, every time that the two of them touched, he was flipping, jumping in and, and breaking them up. Like, you know, so it's, I don't know if the, the changes Joshua needs to make, I doubt that, he has the time to make them, you know, to jump in. It could be a pricey, uh, you know, what happened to Price against uh, Tony Thompson. It could be that all over again, you know. Mm, we thought that actually that was mentioned, yeah. It'd be, it'd be very interesting, like you know, it's. Um, but I mean, he's already. You, you sort of have to put it into perspective, you know. Like as much as we hate, you know, you, the guy. The, if the guy wouldn't have to work another day in his life if he didn't want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, look, you think of the money he's made. You, you know, we're talking to. The reason that he would want to stay in boxing is about legacy. Now it's about, you know, but you know, compared to someone like Lennox Lewis, I mean, Lennox was really—you you always got the impression that Lennox was really completely aware of the history of what he was taking part in. You know, like you know, Lennox idolized Muhammad Ali. You know, he knew his history and he was really interested in the legacy and all the rest of it. You don't get that same impression with Joshua. You know, he's. Uh, I don't know whether they call it this millennial stuff that he's a millennial and that stuff doesn't. The, th- the thing is, Dominic, the way I look at it as it was the same whenever Joseph Parker, after he lost to, I don't know if it was um, AJ or whether it was Dillian White, and they said, oh, he's made so much money now, they don't know whether he wants it anymore. I mean, I remember back in the day, I was shit at boxing, and I remember when I was sparring with Big John, shout out to Big John back in the day, and he hit me with a right hand, and I had like a flash go across my eyes, and I thought to myself, Whoa, this is a bit dangerous, man. I don't like this. Imagine that. Say you're AJ, you're getting hit by Ruiz and you have a bit of a headache or whatever and you've got 100 odds, $50 million in the bank. Do you really want it? You know what I mean, Dominic? You know what I'm trying to say? Do you really want it? Was that Big John Fury you were trying to say? <laughs> I don't think I'd be sitting talking to you now if it was Big John Fury. <laughs> I, do you know what he got do you know he got put in prison for? I have to look that close up to the screen now. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's what I was thinking. You know, I was saying to someone as well. You know, you think of the money he's made, right? Probably way more from endorsements, and he's probably, if it's true that he was getting bashed up and sparring, 
the thought process that you just described there, Steve, I was thinking he's probably having that thought process in training when he's getting bashed up by these guys. And he's thinking, right, I haven't even had the fight. I'm getting bashed up and sparring. Why, why am I doing this? He, 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 would be, he could be forgiven. And it wouldn't be surprising if he's thinking, why am I putting myself through this? What is the point of this? You know, I don't need to do that. Why am I risking my health? You know, if you can't see, if you're not motivated by wanting to, you know, that legacy thing or, you know, wanting to be remembered, you know, it, it's, you sort of have to ask the question, what, you know, what am I doing it for? And, you know, you think, is he, has he got too much too soon? And those things are perfectly, those are human frailties. And, it, it, but it is, just, they are the sort of frailties that it doesn't seem as if Fury is vulnerable or susceptible to the same sort of, you know, frailties, and that's probably because Fury hasn't earned the money that Joshua's earned. I mean, Joshua's probably, you know, he was earning 20 and 30 million from, you know, the last number of fights consistently. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the same that, you know, if you're if you're in that sort of really hard fight, then it's not like Morales versus Barrera where there's like, there's like pride on the line and, you know, there's, there's that sort of racial element and Barrera was, you saw Morales as one of those indigenous Aztecs and uh, or, you know one of the Indians and uh, you know Morales hated this thing and like, you got the impression they were going to fight to the death. But um, yeah, there was all sorts of things between them, wasn't there? There was right sort of right indigenous races and and uh, poverty as well, wasn't there? Barrera, I think, was from quite an affluent background. Yeah, he's a middle class lad from Mexico City. He, he trained. He was a he trained in the law and um, I mean, I remember Barrera. Do you remember Barrera slapping him? Brer slapped him at the like the kickoff press conference. It was unbelievable. You know, like it was it was proper hatred. Like you know, he the squared up, and he slapped him. Like he he properly he properly caught him. You know, and then it, it was too quick. Morales didn't have time. The then the heavies were in between them. Like, but um, it's all a world removed from uh, you know edges. It, it, it was very strange. Like you know, it, it, I I don't think getting rid of Rob McCracken. I don't think that's the right right option for him. But um. I mean, there's talk that he has all these other people coming in anyway, you know, but mm. it's hard to know. what. That's also a very, in, in fairness to old fish eyes, Frank Warren, I, you know, I don't like a lot of the carping that he does about AJ, but I'll say this here. One thing I think he does have a point about in this day and age is AJ training at that English Institute of Sport, which is taxpayer funded. I'm not being funny here, but that's not like, you know, look at the money. I wouldn't so much mind if it was someone who, I wouldn't really... Even with Frotch, I was a bit dubious about it. You know, Frotch had enough money to, you know, train himself. That's taxpayer funded for the Olympic people. Why does why is Joshua, you know, why is he getting that those training facilities free? I mean, everyone else has to everyone else around the country has to do it the other way. Access to the best doctors. Yeah, psychology he's training with that same psychologist that remember after uh, the first Frotch Grows fight and Frotch was using that GB uh, psychologist to have up there at Sheffield. Psych- he, he was consulting with the guy because Groves was making him, you know, Groves got inside his head, made him mm. cry on, on ringside. And um, they, he was consulting heavily with this psychologist up at Sheffield. And, in the videos that Sky put out um, before the Joshua Ruiz fight, um, Joshua and Liam checked the same guy, the same psychologist. I remember his name. Um, and, you know, so he, he's... He's seeing all all these other guys, but I mean, you do look at the amount of people in his entourage. I mean, I was watch, I've been watching a few fight, fights back. You know, Lennox Lewis the rematch against Oliver McCall. 
there's Mick Williamson, there's Emmanuel Stewart, and there's uh, Sugar Hill, I think, um, and just Lennox. You know, like you don't. Do you really need all these? Yeah, all the. I mean, there's about twenty five people in that in that entourage. You know, like it's it's um, it's it's hard to understand. You know, whether it's it's the best thing for them, but um, you know, the other thing that Lewis said, which was very apt after the fight, was that these modern heavyweights, some of them are just too big. I mean, mm. I think Joshua. I mean, there's there's a point I think where you can be too big. Um, you know, it, it, you know, if it hint, starts to hinder your agility and your your flexibility, um, and your you know, it, if it starts to limit your repertoire, I mean, the one thing that set Lewis apart was he had a, a proper repertoire of punches. He didn't just have the straight one two. He had uppercuts. He had hooks. He he had body shots. Um, whereas some of these modern, especially Joshua, I don't think, I don't think he has the variety of combination or 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 shot that lewis had you know so it's um he probably has been exposed and it's i, I wouldn't bet with any certainty that he's gonna um that he's gonna win this this rematch you know it's um it, despite even if it does even if it does happen saying at the o2 in december you know uh i wouldn't um i wouldn't be surprised if if ruiz does it again on the other hand if it does happen over in london they're going, they're going to have to. They should have to pay him what he's asking for to get him to to come over to London. Um, mm. They shouldn't be paying him. They shouldn't be paying him pittance. But I tell you what, Al Heyman and the, those boys who are working for Wee's, they'll be going over that contract with a fine tooth comb. Those boys aren't. You know, they're they're really uh, they're smart people. Like whatever you want to say about them, like not putting on good fights. Like they're they're sharp people. Like you know, if there's something and if there's a hole in that contract. Um, they'll they'll get on to it. Oh, I certainly. Ian Charles in the chat saying nobody's scared of AJ now, and I suppose that's a, a prescient point. Dominic, I'm sure you won't uh, mind me uh, jogging you on now that rapping Rob Kelly's on the call. You know, this game's all about levels, and I'm afraid you're going to have to make way. That's it, Steve. Um, I'll just say, um, before I go, I remember meeting Andy Lee um, down in Dublin about two years ago. He was with his wife and the kid and someone else. And Do you I, appear in the shadows regularly? I, I was, I was flipping. I was, I was. Don't know what it was. It was at some. I was at a museum or something. He was having tea with his. He was having tea with his um, with with the mod I think she's called and the uh, some other lad and I stopped him and he got up. He was so nice, and he shook my hand and I asked him, "Do you know Rob?" And uh, he just says, "Ah, yeah, the rapper." <laughs> there you go. Rapping Rob Sorry. Kelly. Oh, he's he's real he's real gentleman, like he's real um he's a real who, nice guy. Who, who me or Andy? <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Dominic Henry, everybody, celebrity stalker to the stars. What the <laughs> <laughs> I only stalk Guri and uh, Andy. <laughs> What's your Twitter, Dominic, in case anybody wants to give you abuse? Sorry, give you a pat on the back. Flipping them see uh Dominic underscore GW. And how many times daily would you tweet on average? Well, I'm a more retweet. I don't actually tweet. I just sort of retweet. Um, I'm gonna say, I would probably. It depends. Usually about I'd say three or four times a day, but it's mostly Brexit related. You know, like me and Smitto were banging the drum for a clean exit. So um, it's more of that stuff at the minute. I wouldn't really retweet. I haven't been retweeting much boxing stuff, but um, yeah, I haven't been. I haven't been on top of stuff. Um, for a while now, the way you know, 
you know where I would like to be on top of stuff. But um, yeah, more, the thing I'm looking forward to for the rest of the year is Taylor and Progress. That's the one I'm looking forward to. That's um, I cannot wait for that. There, that's gonna be that's 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 such a good fight. So it is. It's an excellent fight, and we're going to get you on to preview that one. Don't be a stranger, Dominic. Don't leave it so long. Next time, we'll get you back on soon. Take care, fellas. All the best. No cheers. Bye, bye. bye. Cheerio. There we go. An exit from Dominic there. But joining us is the main man, rapping Rob Kelly. Come on, then. Let's hear the impression then, Rob. What was going down with old Paulie over the weekend? It's funny. I found that funny, to be honest with you. I haven't seen much. I know you're all on the uh, the edge of your seats there for episode 328. It's been such a busy week of uh, top-level pugilism. Uh, we're having some great fights. We've even got Rigo to look forward to on Sunday night. So, uh, sky's the limit. I did actually see this card... Um, and I thought there was a bit of karma there because, like, if you have eyes and you watch the fight, you would have thought Paulie won, um, even though it looked like... Can you hear me, yeah? Yeah, we can hear you, Rob, loud and clear. Sorry, I'm having a, having a bit of a mirror here. It's absolutely pissing rain. Um, yeah, so uh, if you had eyes, like, you, th you thought he would have won the fight, but I don't know what way they're fucking scoring that farcical. Savage is sport. It's a fucking joke. Lobov was missing everything. He hit him a couple of times in the clinch. Malnazi looked like he broke his right hand fairly early and was just using his left hand and he still appeared to outbox Artem Lobov. But the decision, did you see that? Anyone see the face on Polly when the decision was announced? I've seen the, the, I've seen it on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it was amazing. Like his fucking eyes, he was like, I can't believe this. I, 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 I clearly control the fight. I put my hand and, uh, you know, honestly, I thought maybe, you know, I'm a two-time world champion. I'm, this is beneath me and I apologize to boxing and... But it's a bit of karma for Paulie in his first behaviour in the run-up to this fight and since the McGregor spar. Like, I've no doubt he probably handled himself very, very well against McGregor in those spar spars behind closed doors. But the way he's gone on in the last two years has been just downright creepy. Um, so he got a few smacks and he came out on the other end of an L against Artem Lobov and he's going to have to go live with that one now. Like, so um, Lobov, interestingly then, afterwards called out Amir Khan. Um, in the boxing ring so he doesn't want the bare knuckle he wants a, a gloved match against Amir Khan I think that might be a step too far for him I think um, losing a bare knuckle five rounder to Polly Malinazzi who was 38 and his last fight was against Sam Eggington um, maybe giving him false hope of a win against Amir Khan like I mean he'd get surely Artem Lobov would get absolutely pulverised in that Um so we'll see when Amir get, wins this WBC power belt and that's all, you know, he could go for all the marbles, Lobov, like. But it's a sad state of affairs that a couple of weeks after uh, Wilder, Fury and Joshua um, were leading off with Artem Lobov and Polly Malinazzi in a fucking bizarro world bare-knuckle boxing contest. I heard just on that as well that Randall Bailey was pulled off the card. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> because I saw a clip, a state Still of Chris Lieben, I think he's a UFC guy, um, who was in the back of an ambulance on his way to the hospital after his bout on the on the card that I didn't even watch. But if Randall Bailey starts hitting people with no gloves, someone's going to die. Or someone's going to get a serious brain mm. injury, and I, I don't, I don't like that sport at all. I think it's, you know, obviously we're covering it because Paulie and the comedy factor and Wizard Boss Connor and all that. Like, but Malnazi should know better and. You know, I think he was doing it to kind of... Uh, they obviously waved a big... Rob, we're starting to lose you. You're being silenced by the Illuminati. Sorry, sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me now? 
Yeah, no, I'm just, I just, I just want to make the point, like on Randall Bailey and the likes of those guys, like ex-pro fighters with that heavy hitting hands, like that, that can hit that hard, that are possibly going to be fighting wrestlers in bare knuckle boxing matches. It's not going to end well, and someone's going to get seriously, seriously hurt. And I, I don't want any, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to give it any publicity. I just want to, I just want to kind of it to go away because it's, it's very, very dangerous and it's not entertaining. It's fucking savage. Like so, that's that really. And um, apart from that, I saw fuck all else. So let's see if we can wing it way through till 10 o'clock. It's quarter past nine, Rob. We're doing yeah. our best. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap him up, Kelly, on the call, everybody. Episode 328 alongside me, Gabe and Andy. Forget about Lobov. It's all about Dave Loback. We were trying to get him on earlier, but he's not feeling very well. Derek Chisora sent in a message, especially for you, Dave. This is what Derek had to say. You're a fucking bomb. You're a fucking asshole. I hope you fucking die. That's a bit harsh from Derek, but there you go. I mean, he's had his say on matters. Wise words from Rambo there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Let's go on to next week's action then, shall we? Andy, we spoke last week, actually, about the Charlo card that's coming up tonight. Uh, These Sunday cards are starting to become more frequent. Fox Sports, Rigondo's on the show as well. Have you got any high hopes for Charlo? What thing is, Andy, what I'm thinking about, I know I'm a a big Al Heyman fan, but these guys just don't fight often enough. They're saying that he was supposed to fight the Tony Harrison rematch, which was December, wasn't it? Because it's the same day as Frampton, Warrington and the Chisora White rematch. And now here he is fighting again. It's nearly July. They're just not active enough, these fighters. Yeah, that's, uh, it's always a, a problem with the PBC fighters. And, that, and again, I, I've never, I can't try to think of this opponent that Charles fight. I don't recall seeing him. Um, I pulled up his record earlier on. I see he's got an L to Ericsson Lubin, but I can't remember. He's coming that. off the back of a loss in, in this one, Andy. He lost to Rosario. Yeah, but is he not coming off like late notice for to Tony Harrison? Because he, he pulled out like, two or three weeks ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. He is late notice for late notice. You are quite right. There. So uh, I don't know how much top we're going to put in it. As, as, as for, I would think Charlo's going to win by stoppage, but the last thing he needs here actually is to look unimpressive, boring, or you know just no up for it. And, that, and this goes like a, a lazy 12 round. So he needs to look good, I think, regardless if it's a late opposition, uh, late replacement or not. Uh, Rigo still making claims and stuff like that, still making noises. Um, yeah, I suppose you know the guy he's fighting in the day though. He's what age is he? He must be well aged now as well. I remember, uh, did he not get beat off McDonald? McDonald beat him in Doncaster, didn't he? To, in the the football ground to win the world title when he was with Hobson, I think. I thought that was him, and yeah. you know he's he's never really done much. I, I know he's, he's he's got a win over like a shot. Or probably, you know, at this point, you know, close to past his best, and Selmo Moreno, he got iced off Hugo Ruiz, who's also seen better days than that, especially up well above his best weight as well. But Andy, what you can say about Sehar is at least he's a come-forward guy. He's going to come forward and make Rigondo fight, which in turn, Rigondo might start slicing and dicing him. The last thing you want is somebody like that guy. I can't even remember what his name was. It was the... Was it uh, Drian Francisco, someone who's going to run around the ring and, and Rigondo's going to stink the place out? At least Sehar will come and fight. Yeah, I suppose he has got a decent dig. You know, Mexicans generally don't quit unless they actually get nailed to the floor and that. But at the same time, you know, he hasn't, you're, you're talking about active fighters, Steve. This guy hasn't fought in over a year. You know, and he's coming to fight Rigo. Rigo at this point in his career, you know, whatever age he is now, 40, 45, and that. How's he going to look? You know, and again, it's the same, same comment. You know, the last thing he needs at this point is to be looking boring or whatever and stuff like that. I know he's making some sort of defence of his lineal super bantamweight title, 
Um, we need to mention that because people mention it for Fury and that quite often. But this is also a WBC banter, super bantamweight title eliminator. So is that who, who's the champion? Is that Ray Vargas by any chance? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, uh, a, a bantam. S uh, super bantam, I think it is, mate. Oh, super bantam. No, that is. Um, hang on, let me see. Uh, as he consults fight news and probably gets it completely wrong, he is. Uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry, Rega Vargas is super bantam. Yeah, who am I thinking of then? Ray Vargas. Man, Andy, really, uh, there you go, mate. So, I, yeah, but as, 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 as terms of like entertainment for a Sunday goes and stuff like that, I'll not be getting up at bed early doors to watch it, anyway, put it that way. No, more entertainment on a Sunday with us here. Yeah, I was thinking Vargas was bantamweight for some reason, but he's super bantamweight. I think I'm, I'm a bit tight at the weight tonight. And I bet the Charlos, yeah, one of them looked like shit, didn't he, against Corabod. The other one lost to Tony Harrison. Maybe they've gone off the boil, if you know what I mean. Ozzy, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Let's go domestic, though, shall we? I've saved this card for you in Belfast. Stephen Ward against Liam Conroy. I fancied Conroy to do something here. He was on the way to doing something. I think the difference in this fight was the fact that Ward's a full-time trainer. He had the engine. He had the gas tank. He kept going. Showed a good chin, which surprised me as well. Uh, Conroy just seemed to gas out a little bit. And obviously, the fight had to be stopped because Ward looked like a complete mess. Tell me about Ward, Ozzy. Tell me about Tyrone McKenna, if you want, before we go over to the Cheeseman card. Uh, quite surprised, actually. I thought, basically going off what you said about how Ward looked quite stiff as an amateur, I thought Conroy, a bit, bit more experience compared to Ward, you know, in terms of opponents. But to be fair, Stephen Ward answered a lot of questions. And in, in my opinion, I felt it was a deserved decision. Great fight. Uh, quite enjoyed to watch it, actually. And uh, big props to MTK as well, because they're, they're putting on the good shows. You know, I tell you what, for small hole cards, I mean, regardless if they're defined as small hole, but. Stephen Ward against Liam Conroy is a great fight, properly even matched. Um, Ward came through, answered the questions. I mean, he looked absolutely horrendous at the end of it. Like he literally, like they beat the shit out of each other. But it's a good win. And I know Lyndon Arthur, who's on Frank Warren's books, uh, another light heavyweight, is eyeing up, was eyeing up the winner of that. So it's going to be interesting to see where that uh, that goes. I think it was for one of these WBO bauble belts. And I mean, you know what that means? Ward's now technically in the top 15 light heavyweights in the world. We all know that's a lot of bollocks, realistically. But it was a good fight, a good win, a breakout fight for Stephen Ward. Uh, Tyrone McKenna, good win. He, uh, quite a likeable fighter, McKenna. Decent style. Um, certainly feel like he's vulnerable at times. But for me, I, I always felt he was a favourite going into the fight against Dara Foley. Um Foley was uh, boxing Chris Jenkins. I, th I think it was about eight months ago now or something like that. And I always felt Jenkins would win and it got stopped on cuts. Uh, so it was obviously a draw. And I, I was backing Jenkins in that. So I felt M um, McKenna, if he could, you know, basically box. I know he likes to get pulled into a you know, into a bit of a fight. He would win. And I felt he was a, good, he was, he, he was a deserved winner. And it's going to be interesting to see where he goes next now because he obviously he's picked up again one of these fringe uh, WBC belts or something like that. He lost to Jack Catterall. Uh, he's been very vocal on the O'Hara Davis fight. So, I mean, we all know O'Hara Davis has got uh, Miguel Vasquez up coming up in, I think, in a couple of weeks or so. I wouldn't be shocked to see that next. Both MTK managed and... I, I guess it makes sense. None of them are good enough to box for a world title next, nor a European title. Um, 
I think is it Robbie Davis, the British champion at that level? I think mm-hmm. we'd happily see the happily see the fight at that, without a doubt. But we all know that's not the way to go now in this day and age in boxing. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a McKenna Davis fight next should Davis win. But again, it, it, it was a decent card, um, an enjoyable one, and you just cannot complain. Obviously, in this day and age, when there's that many pay per views and subscription, when you get to watch it on IFL or on YouTube for nothing. Two competitive fights, you know, plus uh, quality coming from the undercard. It's it's a good watch. Yeah, and we mentioned as well MTK ran a show in Scotland the night after. But at Absolutely. the same time, yeah. at the same yeah. time as the as the Belfast one, though, Aussie. Um, before you talk about Cheeseman and also Conor Ben, who both got well, it was a draw and then a win for Ben. We were mentioning Craig Richard there bounced back after a defeat, and I think he looked pretty good. I expected Andre Sterling to be a pretty live dog, but I liked Richard's size and the way he used it. Yeah, I, I went with Richards last week. I, I hadn't seen much of Sterling, but I felt I favoured Richards in terms of the experience, and I thought it showed that, to be honest. And I'd, for me, Richards is, he, I mean, he took the gamble against Frank Buglioni, didn't he? I think he got a week's notice, was a super middleweight, took the gamble and felt, obviously, if he beats Buglioni, he's the British champion at uh, light heavy. He, he took that, he lost, but he's learned a hell of a lot from it. And he's come back now, and I think he's won two fights since. He battered, was it Jake Ball, who went up to the Ingle gym yes. for, for this fight? And it, I mean, he absolutely battered him. And then I think this was an eliminator now for the British title, so he's mandatory for that now. Uh, I, I don't see Buatzi taking this fight, not because he's bothered about it, but I think they're going to look to excel him and move him on from that. So I assume he's going to be fighting for a vacant belt. Again, Dex Bellman, English champion, should be called up for that without a doubt. But that that was it was an impressive win by Richardson. Again, it just shows that one loss on the record doesn't mean it's the end of your career. He took a chance; it didn't pay off. He's rebuilt, and now he's in line again for another. He's mandatory for the British title and could well be boxing for a vacant belt. And if all goes his way in the next fight, he could be the British champion at light heavyweight. What about Conor Ben and Aussie? Are you on this train? We were saying they're going to build him towards a Josh Kelly fight, but Kelly would probably run rings around him. But Ben is actually improving, and I like his hairdo as well, reminiscent of his old man. He's improving, but I'm certainly not on the train. Uh, I didn't think the opponent was that great. I know they bigged him up as, like, you know, he's had close losses and things like that. But we were never talking about his wins, and that's because his wins are always in, like, foreign countries, either in his homeland in Finland or a couple of ones in a way, so in, like, in... Uh, in uh, Hungary or something like that. Yeah, he's had close losses, but realistically, what does that mean? Uh thought Ben started off a bit sloppy, but he came out in the second round and obliterated him. And it, and it was an impressive finish. And I mean, it, I find it interesting that he's bigging up the, the Josh Kelly fight because I think it's all wrong for him, completely all wrong for him. And if you look at his opponents, none of them can punch either. So wh- whether that's, you know, like whether they've got, concerns about his chin or something like that but there's a hell of a lot of domestic lads that be crying for that Conor Ben fight and they're all staying away we've got to remember Conor Ben was nominated for an English title shot and they pulled him out of it why an English title would be a decent route for him fuck these like I said these trinket belts and stuff like that an English title fight would have been great for him and I think that's because they don't they don't really rate him uh, but he keeps doing the business and like from a marketing perspective, like I said, he's the son of Nigel Ben, so they've got that hook and he keeps knocking people out. And 
I suspect that they're going to keep him at this level where they're going to be, you know, like, say, some opponents that will have, say, decent records on paper, but when you look into them, that aren't great. But if Conor Ben keeps knocking them out, it'll get them talking. Eddie Hearn talks about how he feels that the Ben Kelly fight isn't for him at the moment, and he wants another 12 months in between it. Well, we saw Josh Kelly drew with Ray Robinson, and he's mandatory for the uh, the European title against uh, David Avanesian. Now, that is not a foregone conclusion he's going to win that at all. So it's going to be interesting for me. If Conor Ben wants the fight next, I would make that against Josh Kelly. And for me, it'd be an absolute walk in the park for Kelly because he'd just box rings around him and make him look silly. But for Ben, it was it was an impressive stoppage on headlining a sky card and he did all he could. Good stuff, Ozzy. We'll be coming back to you very shortly with uh, Ryan Walsh and also O'Hara Davis. I know you mentioned it there. That one is next week, according to my uh, reckoning. Francesco Patera defends the European title. He won against Lewis Ritson over in Italy against Paul Highland Jr. Um, good lad is Highland, but he got knocked out by Ritson in a round who Patera beat. So it's not, uh, you know, if you're working on triangular theories, it's not going to be a very productive evening for Highland, but I think he'll give it a go. Uh, might even last the distance over there in Italy. Who knows whether we'll be able to watch that on Sky or not. Right, Rob, here's one for you. Maybe not. He's disappeared. We shall divert over to you instead, uh, Gabriel. What have we got for you, Gabe? That's the question. Charlo, you love the Charlo chat, don't you, Gabe? So let's hit you with Jamal Charlo, 28-0 middleweight. Interim WBC middleweight title. They're always the bridesmaids, never the brides. These Charlos, aren't they? When they're going to step up into big fights. He's going in against Brandon, Ad Brandon Adams, the most wanted man in middleweight boxing, uh, Triple G. Had an eye on him and he ended up with Steve Rolls in the end. But Adams is going in there against Charlo. Erickson Lubin's on the undercard against someone I've never even heard of. Anything else of interest? Not particularly. Tell me about Jamal Charlo against Brandon Adams then, Gabe. Does Charlo have to knock him out? Does he have to make a statement in this fight if he's going to gain any traction back in his career? I don't even know, man. There's such a weird case. Both of the Charlo brothers are. You know, they, they've done a lot of good things, and they've won a lot of fights, and they've had some really good knockouts, the both of them. Um, so, you know, whenever I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, these guys have done enough. They've, you know, uh, maybe haven't made themselves <clears throat> uh, unskippable. You know, somebody, they haven't made themselves in a position where they can't be passed over, but at this point, they should have done enough to see some higher-level, higher-profile fights. Um, you know, I, I feel like they did get the opportunity uh, on the card where the younger brother lost. Um, I mean, that, that was a whole card built around the two of them. And they had an opportunity there to, to really put the whole notion to bed that they were – not top-notch competitors in their respective divisions. And you saw how that worked out. Um, whether you agree with the fact that the younger brother lost or, or didn't, um, but neither one of them looked really that good in their prime position to obtain a big, high-level, high-profile fight. I mean, that was, their, that was kind of their bid for it. Um, that doesn't take away from what they've done. I still feel like they've done enough to get some higher profile fights, but the fact of the matter is they're just not getting them. And I honestly don't understand exactly why that is. Um, I mean, I don't think that they've, that they've, 
like I said, completely have made themselves in a position where they can't be passed up. But, I mean, if you looked at it for a little stretch there, Canelo was the big money fighter. Triple G was the big money fighter. Those were two potential fights that they missed out on. But those two were going two fights back-to-back with each other. And then the the setup has been for them to go together for a third time, which, again, to me is uh, kind of keeping other fighters out of the loop. Um, I just feel like they've – honestly, I feel like they've done enough. They should get some high-profile fights. Now, granted, if they come in this time and they they look good, they look sharp across the board, then – I think you've got to seriously consider somebody giving them those high profile fights again. Um, but they're not pay-per-view caliber fighters. I don't want to go that far with it. They're not going to be guys that are going to get their own pay-per-view show. They're going to be on somebody else's pay-per-view show until they reach the point where they can fight a Canelo or a triple G or a top level opponent. That's the big money draw. That's the only way they're going to get to that level. And they're not there yet. So <clears throat> I don't think they're they're prime players for pay-per-view. I don't know that they'll ever really be pay-per-view type fighters. Again, with kind of what you're seeing, uh, I believe that Errol Spence's next fight is supposed to be on pay-per-view. Um, Canelo doesn't do pay-per-view now, so I guess take that for what it's worth. I mean, it just kind of depends on, on the whole scenarios around the both of them, but I just don't. I don't see them after these fights going up and stepping up and getting a huge, big, high-profile fight. Um, I just, I mean, they're kind of middling opponents right now. You know, they've done enough to look good. They've done enough to be dangerous, but they haven't done enough to keep themselves in the spotlight and obtain those fights, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, I don't want to make it sound like the mock against them. It's just not an easy thing to do. Yes, everybody knows I was very much on the Charlo hype train at one point. Thought they were going to be the next big thing. Unfortunately, my hype train <laughs> turned out to be a bit of an L train. I suppose the Charlos are both there still, maybe lumping coal in the furnace. Avni Yildirim as well, yeah. He's collecting tickets and Adrian Broner serving on the tea trolley. This is my, my L train, very much in full flow. Don't follow me, everybody. Do not follow me. Right, Rob, follow me on this one, why don't you? Pachanga Resort and Casino in Temecula, California, but it's nice and warm there, isn't it? Get yourself a nice beer by the pool. Richard Commie's fighting on this one, Rob. You're going to thank me for this. He's <laughs> he disappeared again. He's like a jack-in-the-box. Are you there, Rob? I don't know what I'm having tro- I'm going to have to switch headphones. The headphones keep fucking bringing up my iTunes uh, on their own. I think the wire's uh, fucked in it, and it's uh, every time the phone moves, it's going to activate an iTunes, so... Not well, to. Rob, I, I, I was asking you about the Richard Comey Ray Beltran fight. Have I infected your phone with some kind of deadly disease? Well, you're on a roll with me anyway. I tell you, you're saving all the best <laughs> fights for me. Um, this is a rematch, is it not? Um, I <laughs> can't remember to be honest. Have they fought before? Have they? I feel like Comey? this is a rematch. This is as much, as much as I care about it anyway, is that I feel like it's a rematch. I was looking at this today um, when I was trying to look at the results and the fights coming up for next week. And I was. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to come to me on this one. <laughs> no, I don't think um, they've fought before, Rob, according to my um, my research here. Uh, Comey has two in... defeats, one against Easter and one against Shafikov. Yeah, that was contentious against yeah, the Easter yeah, as well, wasn't it? Like, um, no, I think Be- Beltran's an okay champion. Um, Comey's a capable guy. 
Could I give a fuck about this fight? Absolutely not. Does the winner have a chance against Lomachenko? Not a fucking prayer. Uh, so, but I, you know, I still like to see Lomachenko out against anybody. I think the winner of this has a, a rightful claim to fight Lomachenko next after Luke Campbell. Um, but you know, couldn't see either of them giving him a test. To be honest with you, so it's kind of a keep busy fight for both of them. A defense, I don't, I don't care, man. Sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to show some enthusiasm for this fight, and I have zero. Rob, you just tell me straight. Just tell me how it is. I have a more interesting question for you coming up soon on uh, Prince Nazim and his uh, legacy. So don't worry, I've got oh, something excellent. better for you. Got something better for you. Yeah. No worries, dude. No problem at all. Come to you very shortly, Rob. Also, Ozzy will be back with you as well. Andy, right? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts Centre. Sounds like fun there, doesn't it? Providence, Rhode, Rhode Island. We know that Spice Girl Mel B is on board with this card. She's a big Demetrius Boo Boo Andrade fan. I actually don't think this is the, the worst fight in the world. Demetrius Andrade, 27-0, defending his WBO title against Mr. Selecki. We saw Selecki's tough. He's also a bit vulnerable. He's in busted <laughs> He showed, he showed, he showed against Rosado. He can go through the trenches, Andy. That's what he thinks about it. Um, uh, but also, Selecki put in a good performance, I thought, against uh, Danny Jacobs. Cal Yafai is out on the undercard as well against someone called Jimenez, maybe. Um, maybe his mom doesn't even watch him fight. And Joseph Parker is going against Alex Lepai. But mate, yeah, it's getting worse by the minute, Andy. I'm sorry to have to bring this to you, but Andrade Selecki, it, it could be worse. It could be better as well, mate. It's not too bad, I don't think, that fight, you know? Come on, you fuck, man. This guy got dropped off Gabe Rosado, man, <laughs> for Christ's sake. <laughs> Gabe Rosado. And Danny Jacobs took him to over. I think he's, not, he's, he, I think he's pretty chinny as well, for uh, what I can recall with the guy. But Andrade will be what he does best. And that, you know, it'll be more snooze face for 12 rounds. Uh, Yafai, the guy that he's fighting... Last time I saw him fight, I'm sure it was Kohei Kono, which was years and years ago. Um, you expect your fight probably went on points. I don't know how he still keeps making that weight. He's got to be in borrowed time there as well. And um, who else we got? Joe Parker. And who's that? Who's that the other guy? Lee Pai. Uh, Parker's fighting Lee Pai, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Some sort of kind of rivalry, that one, is in a way. Kind of Australia v New Zealand. Sorry, Steve. But this is like Eddie Hearn's takeover of America. It just is not happening, man. It's, uh, he's been all over Providence, Rhode Island. He's been fucking Vegas, New York, and stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of his fighters take an L here. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's no great by Mr. Hearn. Look, look at the rest of the card at the minute. No. I know we always look through things with rose-tinted glasses and everything, Andy, but it's just a shame, isn't it, that we have, we've got Andre there, 27-0, basically inactive, hasn't really fought anybody. Charlo, 28-0, inactive, hasn't really fought anybody either. It's a shame we couldn't just see them fight each other and then, if it's close, fight each other again and then fight each other a third time. Could do, if they're close enough fights and stuff, you know, competitive fights. But uh, it's just, this, is, this is what it is. You know, people want to get paid, so... The house fighter gets protected and he gets the paydays. It's just, you know, I'll put it this way. This Conor Ben cutting about in a fucking Mercedes GT, right? Come on. You know, how's he meant to stay hungry? I never mean humble. How's he meant to stay hungry when he's got, like, he must be getting paid stupid money to go about and cutting about stupid cars like that. Big watches and jewellery and clothes and that, man. That's no, that's not a fighter. A fighter's back in the gym within fucking a couple of days of his last fight and stuff. No fucking posting his shit on Instagram. It's like that Jesse Lingard and that, my ain't it, and that, you know, what be you just a wee weasel that as well actually just the shit that they get involved in just stick to what you're meant to be doing train fight play football whatever it is just fucking I don't want to read about it on Instagram 
Rob, I hear that you can be regularly seen on Wexford TV live throwing big wads of euros about the place. Is this can this be confirmed? No confirmation from Rob Kelly there. He's not biting on that one. Ozzy, let's get on with you then, shall we? Final one of the weekend before we move on to questions and value of the weeks. Ryan Walsh mentioned it earlier. British featherweight title against undefeated Lewis Paulin, 12-0. Haven't seen him box, but again, another decent card from the MTK crowd. Miguel mm. Vasquez going in against O'Hara Davis. And Osgul against Anthony Gitt. That could be a decent eight-rounder. I just want to touch on the, uh, the Andrade fight before that. And I, mm, I agree course. with Andy. Had this have followed up the um, the Jacobs fight, I'd have been on board with it. But this guy went life and death with Gabe Rosado. So we're expecting him to cause problems for Demetrius Andrade? Absolutely not a chance. We've got Joe Parker in against Alex Leopai. Now, Alex Leopai was billed as a decent enough test for Nathan Gorman, who's not contested a British, contested a British title yet. Now you've got him boxing against Joe Parker, who is a former world champion. And it says it all when they're billing him against because they're from the both Samoan or something like that. That says it all. What is the point <laughs> in this fight for Joe Parker? Nothing. But moving on to the Ryan Walsh fight. Uh, I feel for Ryan Walsh. I feel he's a bloke that is a boxer that has just lacked the backing from any sort of promoter. Great fighter. Um Probably not world level, but has never had a chance. He's dominated domestic level completely. Um, I think he's won the British title outright and has literally kept hold of it because he said it's the only way you can get fights. And it's disappointing to hear that because you've got a talented British title fighter. Um, wins it outright. I think he had. He went out to Denmark to box. Oh, who was that guy? Josh Warrington knocked him out in the... Oh, Dennis Ceylon. Yeah, yeah, Ceylon. And it got stopped, I think, on cuts. Um, and on, Oh, no, he got beat on a split decision. And Walsh basically bollocked up as well because he was pissing the fight, absolutely pissing it. And since then, he's just never had an opportunity. And again, MTK have picked him up. They've picked Liam Walsh up as well. Again, a talented fighter, his brother. And he should win. On Saturday, uh, well, is it Friday or Saturday night card? This one, Steve. Uh, let me just check the schedule right now. It is Friday the twenty eighth of June in the York Hall. York Hall, yeah. Yeah. Regardless of that, he should win anyway. Um, good fighter, a lot better than British level, and I'm hoping that a win on Friday, then he then gets an opportunity, whether it be a friend, you know, like some sort of eliminator or a European title shot, because. The lad deserves it. He's done everything he can. Uh, he keeps on winning. So for me, I, I think he'll win on Friday night comfortably. Won't be shocked if he stops this lad as well. And then, I have, fingers crossed, he gets the opportunity uh, to move on to a higher level. Because if he doesn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see him walk away. Because what's the point in him? If he's not getting a, a chance at a higher level, then how does he keep on getting motivated? Is the Chantel Cameron fight on this one as well? I think it was moved. Or, or am I wrong on this? Is that Ferdinand? Uh, I don't see Chantel on box right now, Ozzy, no. No, so it might be further down the line. So what else is on the card now? Uh, we've got Sia Osgul, 15-3 and three mm -hmm. against Anthony Ugit. And yeah, also but... between Martin McDonough and Daniel Egbenike. They're 5-0 and 4-0 and and respectively. So it's good to see in the spirit of, wasn't yeah. it, Umar Deacon, Zach Shelley put their uh, records on the line in a yeah. similar fashion? Yeah. I, I don't know a lot about the, uh, the latter 
that you spoke about them. But Osgill, Yigit, um, I, I should suspect Yigit will come through that relatively unscathed. I think Osgill's last fight was probably against um, Victor Postal, was it? And I think he got beat on points. Yep. Uh, Yigit's decent. I like him. Uh, good fighter. Great chin. Can box. Not the biggest of punches, but being brutally honest, should deal with people like Sarah Osgill. So again, MTK producing another decent card. There'll be some mismatches on there, but you're expecting that on these sort of cards. But there's two two decent fights. And then, like you say, you've got the 4-0 the against a 5-0 or whatever it is. And I don't know anything about the lads, but it's good to see them both putting the unbeaten records on the line because, as we've always said, one loss doesn't mean the end of the world. Yeah, just checking Osgore's record there. He's had a couple of fights since, including a, an area title fight. So at least he's been relatively active. But I think you're right, Ozzy. I think Yigit should probably beat him. And fair play to Osgore. He's not afraid to step in there and fight these guys no. when they come over. First postal and now Yigit. Yeah. This is an opportunity for him as well, because imagine he gets the upset win. Where does he go from there then? Because he's got a win over a former European uh, champion. And I think he start challenged for a world title as well. So it shows that if he can get an upset win, like I said, a loss against him and in an eight-rounder, it's not going to be the end of his career because he's not, you know, completely, like, out of his depth or anything like that. He's not, you know, a shit boxer. The lad's got ability. So, yeah, we need more fighters like this, you know, stepping up and taking the opportunities because we see all too often now they're all protected and you get them up to 15, 16 and 0. And when they do step up, they get battered because they've just had it all their own way too much. Osgill is kind of learning on the job. Obviously, he's won a Southern Area title. That's great. Um, I don't think he's eligible to box for English and British. I think, I'm sure he's Turkish by um, by birth. He is, so yeah. He can't, but yeah, so he can't box for, um, obviously, for the English and British title. So, essentially, he's getting his opportunities by fighting the bigger names in the away corner. So, good, good luck to him. And if it doesn't come off, it's definitely not the end of his career. And, like I said, I, I applaud him for taking the opportunity and we need to see more fighters like this. Well said, Ozzy. Are you back with us, Rob? Not sure if Rob's there or not. Oh, yeah, I'm here. I was just thinking, I know uh, Mel B can't make it to Boo Boo <laughs> Andrade's fight next week. That's what started this whole interest in uh, revealing her interest in Andrade. So if she can't make it, maybe for the ring walk, which might make it interesting if, if they can get Keith Lemon back to do his Mel B on the way to the ring with Andrade. I'd watch that. Maybe get Patsy Kenson on the other side. <laughs> that, that, that might bring some interest to the cards. But other than that, fuck that. Do you know what else would bring a bit of interest, Rob? Maybe a celebrity message could come through the speakers to Andrade. You're a fucking bum. You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> I hope you fucking die. Something like that could maybe spice things up a bit. <laughs> or it could be like a personal message from LB. She's like, boo-boo, tell me what you want, what you really want. you want to? <laughs> Rob, did, Rob, did you get your tickets, by the way, sorted in Dublin? I, I believe Steve has got big contacts over there, you know, with his, uh, his dodgy No, I haven't. So I'm going to have to get... Wellings, you I'm need to have to get Wellings there. to flex the muscles there to see can he get has he got any yeah, pull to Steve, get the, we, we know like I said we know where uh, Steve Kinahan Wellings uh, so <laughs> we need to pull, pull, pull out your pull your finger out and get these tickets for Rob Kelly yeah exactly Wellings yeah okay tickets for what exactly what are you talking about Cardi B <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> the woman's want to go and see Cardi B I can't get a fucking ticket well you know what it is I could probably ask like a couple of people 
but I don't want to be the one that I'm not the one that asks. You know what I mean? It's just like fucking, hey man, I haven't spoke to you in two years. Any chance you could fucking? You know what I mean? Well, so I, I, I don't even get... know who Cardi B is to be honest with you. Yeah, Steve, Steve, you've got connections in Dublin with MTK, and MTK yeah. can do anything. The the big performance in the in the world now. So you need to pull. You need to you know, pull the strings. Get in touch with well, Kinahan. And then Rob <laughs> Well, you won't hear me saying a bad thing about MTK anyway. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Best proportional outfit in the um, in the country. Especially seeing as Frank Warren is uh, bankrolling the pod. You know what I mean? As Chukwu says. Yep, shout out to Jason Chukwu. Is Chukwu in the chat tonight? I haven't been in the chat for a while now, actually. I'll go and have a look. Let's see. Uh, don't see him now, no, to be honest with you. Josh Foster's in oh. there. He's not interested in Boo Boo Andrade's next fight. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> he was, he was in there. I did see him actually. He was definitely in there. Shout out to Chukwu. Yeah, he's, he's in there somewhere. Right, Rob, we have a question. Well, it's not really a question for you, but it was actually a comment. I was looking, um, I've been saving this for a while, but I thought I might uh, drag it out now that we've got a bit of time uh, this week with not much going on. Whenever Frampton was fighting Warrington, Back in December, I was flicking through one of the interviews and below the YouTube interview uh, uh, with Prince Nazim, who was talking about the Frampton Warrington fight, someone called Celtic Spirit 2 jumped in. So shout out to him. I copied and pasted the comment that he left because I thought it would be quite an interesting talking point. So I'll hit you with it then. So he was talking about Nazim and back in his career. And Mr. Celtic Spirit mm. 2 said, Nazim struggled with Kevin Kelly and Augie Sanchez, was flat against McCulloch and uh, Medina, behind on the cards against Ingle, took on a bantamweight Barrera and got soundly beaten, never went anywhere near Morales, Marquez, Tapia, Casamayor, Diego, Floyd, Manfredi or Pac. All those guys were around at the time, all fought each other and all these guys moved up several weights to fight the best. Naz was a marketing dream, Rob, and a typical British boxing star. Yeah, well, fuck me. I, I can't really disagree with too much of that. I think Naz definitely had the star appeal um, to be a global superstar, and he had he definitely had dynamite hands. Having said that, he did knock Augie Sanchez fucking kicking, like whether, whether he was behind on the cards or not. He did have the equalizer, he had it, uh, pulled it out of the fire against Kevin Kelly. And Augie Sanchez and Kevin Kelly were two excellent fighters having said that he won his title I think against Steve Robinson didn't he who himself won the title on like 48 hours notice or something like that or 24 hours notice so I always thought like when he moved up in, in opposition that he was going to get starched um, and although Brewery didn't knock him out he did what I expected him to do with him I think you know he's definitely a showman McCullough was a tough operator um, hung in was always going to hang in there against him so he was good he was Naz was very very good he could have probably been better. I think you can see what happened and how his downfall occurred. If you watch that, ever watch that documentary about the build-up to the Barrera fight when he's training with Manny Stewart and everything's going wrong and he's making these big demands about wanting the sweet and in Vegas, not just you know, and Barrera's just training away up in Big Bear, like thinking about the fight. So I think he just became too big for his boots. He had the AJ entourage. He had everybody around him. Everybody was you know he's giving Michael Buffer instructions about coming out on the flying carpet. All this bullshit that had nothing to do with fighting. Um, and I think his ego cost him his career in the end, to be honest with you. Because once Barrera beat him, um, I think he he broke his ego. He broke him mentally as well as beating him physically. And that's why you never saw him back at, the, at that high level. So I wouldn't go as far as to say he was a hype job or he was a British superstar only. I think he definitely had, like I said, global star appeal. And he he was good and he could punch it. He did beat some very good fighters, but... Um, I think it was more of a case of his ego getting completely destroyed 
um, on top of that performance, that, which is why he never kind of came back and never went up the weights or whatever was beaten out of him that night. Like, so Celtic spirit too spot on for you then, Robert? Basically, yeah. Well, not, perhaps not spot on, but he's close he's to the mark. Right, yeah, on the right track. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right, Gabe, before we go on to Bowie of the Weeks, let's hit you one from Ted Barrett over on patreon.com forward slash boxing asylum. Mr. Barrett has said to you, Gabriel, from 2000 onwards, has there been any weight class that have had their best ever era? So from 2000 onwards, which weight class has enjoyed the best ever era? I know you've been doing a bit of work on this, Gabe. Come up with a couple of weight classes. Hit me, brother. <coughs> hit me with a bit of snot there, Gabe. Sorry about that. I had a coughing attack right before I started the answer. Uh, so yeah, we we um, talked about it a little bit in in the chat. So I had actually a couple of good uh, a good bases to start with. So I think the answer to this question is going to kind of depend on what you consider to be good things in a division. So, for instance, if that means just lots of good quality fights uh, or if you mean, you know, having a person who's able to unify the division and take on all challengers or what you're looking at. So since 2000, two of the top ones, uh, one Andy said was welterweight. Now I, I, I'll, I'll stop anyone that wants to stone me to death right now um, with the welterweights. So, you know, you have the Kings of the seventies and eighties, um, Ray Leonard, uh, Duran, Hearns, so on and so forth. That's a great, a great era. Nobody In my defense, so I actually misread, misread the question because it was like, would you say, Steve, the best ever era? Yeah, best which ever. which uh, division has um, enjoyed its best ever era post 2000? See, because when I read that, I, sure. I, I missed that. I thought it was like from 2000 onwards. Because if, you, if you're taking well away, you've got like Mosley fighting Oscar twice, you've got Mosley losing to Forrest, you've got Manny Pacquiao beating Cotto and uh, Forte. Yeah, with Floyd, Floyd Hatton, Hatton against Pacquiao, Corte, as you say, uh, Fernando Vargas. So well away they are that there. time. Yeah, it was a fantastic era of running, but well away at that time. Yeah, so the, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about it in, in, in time frame. So I kind of broke the question down into uh into 10-year subsets and so the late 70s and the 80s were a good time the 90s uh, they weren't terrible but i don't think they were as good as the airs before and then directly at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s whenever you got into the stuff that you were talking about which if you really think about all the things that we've seen happen since 2000 to the point right now which has been 19 fucking years it's kind of a long time frame. It's had its ups and downs, but all the things that you just mentioned were phenomenal assets to the welterweight division. Uh, you also had the um, stretch with with kind of semi into retirement where Paul Paul Williams was there, Margarito was there, Cotto was there. Fast forward a little bit to to Errol Spence, uh, Kel Brook, Porter, Third Woman. Um, and so I think this era that we, that we're looking at now, it gets a lot of shit, but whenever we think about it in, in comparison and retrospect to other areas, it's, it's really not that terrible. Um, we, we may have to wait for longer to get the good fights that we want to see. We may not get the immediate matchups that we really are, are 
you know, really clamoring for. But there's a lot of great things that have happened since 2000 in the welterweight division. Uh, the other one is the cruiserweight division. Absolutely. I'm just about to say that. So the cruiserweight division is <clears throat> you had your you had your time where Holyfield was there. Uh, my all-time favorite fight, Holy, Holyfield versus Dwight Muhammad Kawi. Uh, that's absolutely a, a, a barn burner. Anybody who hasn't seen that fight, you stop what the fuck you're doing as soon as the pod's over and go check out that fight. I'm sure most of our fans have seen that one already. I know that Andy's a pretty big fan of that one. Uh, I've always been a big Kawi fan. Uh, so that one <clears throat> was really great. But the division in cruiserweights – hasn't always been really tremendous in terms of overall competition levels. You've had spells where there's a good fighter here, there's a good fighter there, and they have a couple of good fights here and there. But it's, you know, by and large, left out of the conversation when you're talking about the best weight classes or the weight classes that have had, you know, a really tremendous set of fighters in there. And it's kind of gone through um, this, this stage in the past few years where – um, you know, I think let's see. Uh O'Neill Bell beat John Mark Mormick and and you great fight, great fight early two thousands. Uh then of course it got ununified. Um you had David Hay come back to unify it to some extent. I don't know. I, I think he had all did he have all four of the big four belts or three? I can't recall, but unified, partially unified. Couple guys winning a couple straps here and there, but then you look at it right now, and you've had the the World Boxing Super Series two years in a row, or well, longer than two years, but two series in a row, and you've had competitive, really great fights, and you had a guy in Usyk come in and take all the straps. So I think that's a really uh, a really good comparison in terms of. A division, a single division that's that's been better than maybe it's ever been from 2000 on. That's um, not to neglect that there's been a bunch of great, tremendous fighters and fights individually in the cruiserweight division. But for my money, to answer this question specifically, I'm going to go with the cruiserweight division. Go ahead, Andrew. Can I fault that, like cruiserweight division and stuff? Um, you know, it's only two, since 2003 since the the new weight uh, limit came into that division for 190 to 200 pounds as well. You know, I think James Tony Vasily Yerov was 2003, rightly given fight, I might even mean given fight of the year award in that as well. Um, Gabe said had the World Boxing Super Series, you've had the four epic wars between Huck and Ola Afalabi, especially that second fight, round 12, man, was just simply, it was one, probably one of the best last rounds you'll see in recent history. Um, you got David Hay at one point when he looked like a million dollars. You know, he went to Paris, beat up um, uh, Jean Marc Mormet, unifies against Enzo Macanelli. Um, Steve Cunningham's had some great fights with uh, Thomas Adamek and um, the Paul Vidalcek. We've had, um, uh, who was the other one? What about uh, the BJ Flores era? Oh, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> I'm going to mention that Danny Green as well, mate. I. Um, who else? Thomas Adamek, as as I says, he he had um, uh, who was the war that he had with uh, again at Cruiserweight? Was they cunning him? Somebody else? Um, so it escapes me at the minute. But uh, yeah, there's been there's been a lot of um, 
He fought what? Bell, didn't he, at Cruiserweight? Well, the other one that came to my mind, Steve, was like we got him on the call. Ezra Sellers against Carol Thompson. Oh, yeah, the late Ezra Sellers, right enough, yeah. That was early 2000, I'm pretty certain about that one as well. But yeah, Johan Pablo. Lebedev against Jones. Chuck, we was mentioning Johan Pablo Hernandez as well. Remember another cruiserweight mm -hmm. who had about 12 defences? You remember Gomez? Wasn't it Juan Carlos uh, Gomez? He went up heavyweight and fought Sinan Samuel Sam. He, got, he also got iced off Kudryashov a few years back as well when he was kind of kicking through. Oh, did he really? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did, aye. But as you say, we've had, um, I think we had Bredis against Duradolo. That was, I remember that being a war. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great fights. I mean, I've need to sit obviously trying to pull out, uh, pull out some of your names and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you got Bell, Mormick, Hay, Adamek, Music, all done their bit and that. You've had that great fight with Gazaev and uh, uh, Dortico as well over the last year. You have, um, do I think, what else have had? Um, do I think the kind of most recent fights? Music against Bredis, Music against Gazaev, which by the way was a pure 50 50 fight. And see Gazaev getting turned into basically like he was a C level operator. You know, just it was, uh, it was a bit of a kind of Cumden, shall we say, but aye, but say, it's as Kurt was once titled, it was the one point the red headed stepchild of boxing. But it's uh, it's came good, finally came good in the end because it was like the titleists only hung about for so long or they didn't unify, you know, they were happy just to kind of like take their defenses and stuff. But you know, over the last 18 months, two years, we've been getting the big fights and the good fights, so it's a uh, Yep, I agree with Gabe. Cruiserweight division definitely may probably had its most significant era in the last, what, 19, 20 years. Yeah, Jason Chukwu mentioned the Cuban there, Johan Pablo Hernandez. That was another train I was on for a while, which ended to be an L train. He was a bit uh, chinny, Hernandez, and I think against the Cunningham fight, he showed that maybe he hadn't got the heart, but I always liked his southpaw style. He was very quick, he was skillful, he could punch as well. I think he got exposed by Wayne Braithwaite early on, and he built his way back, had some decent fights with Cunningham, but I thought Hernandez was going to be a really good fighter, but he didn't quite transpire. And as for Gomez, yeah, he was a good, a good fighter as well, who I thought went up to heavyweight and didn't do too well, but I was looking back on his record record recently, uh, Juan Carlos Gomez, and he had a good run at heavyweight, ended up fighting either Vlad or Vitali, I think it was Vitali actually, and he, he did pretty well in that fight, so shout out to the cruiserweights indeed. Uh, someone is try was trying to get on the call earlier, but I, I don't know, message me on Twitter or send me your Gmail or something, I'll try and get you on, but I'll have to sort of hurry up now because we're finishing up, I think that's all the questions then. Oh, yeah. Earlier on, I forgot to mention, by the way, when we were talking about Sebastian Fundora and Freaks of Nature, I shared it to Nikolai Valuev. He always got a bit of bad press, Valuev, but I liked him. He seemed like a bit of a gentle giant, like an Andre the Giant type. Uh, he's, he has some kind of issues. I only saw it briefly on Twitter earlier. He's gone through an operation, like maybe a brain hemorrhage or a brain tumour. I'm not exactly sure of the problems or what it is because I haven't read, read up on it that much, but he seems to be going through some kind of strife at the moment. So get well soon, big guy. Hopefully, old Valuev. Uh, get gets better, whatever the problems are at the moment. Right, let's move on to Bellew of the Week then, shall we, before we get out of here. Just flicking over the old screen there. First one is Sam. I mentioned this earlier. I played the clip from Eddie Hearn. Yeah, Bellew of the Week for Eddie, says Sam, saying if AJ beats Ruiz, it is one of the great comebacks of all time. He saved it at the point for me as well, so I could cut that one. Played it earlier on the show. Peter Kepi has nominated Connor Ben on TalkSport. Ben said all his opponents treat him as their world title fight. They're sticking on a Connor Ben theme. Sky Sports put up a little uh, a little meme here. Eddie Hearn, Connor, you're headlining. You've got to impress. Connor, hold my drink. Michael M nominated. 
Sky Sports for that one. All of the belts said Conor Ben is back in the ring this Friday, looking to move to 15-0 against Jussie Koivula. Do you believe he will follow in his father's footsteps and become a world champion? If that wasn't Bell of the Week enough, Dylan O'Brien jumped in. I actually believe within five years, Connor could be the face of matchroom boxing. <laughs> JS Park 10 nominated him for that one, I think. Shitty bonus, though, the way he's going, he, he wouldn't be back against it. Eh? <laughs> That's what I said. There might, he might not be wrong, you know, he might be the, the face of matchroom boxing. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, my dear. Ozzy's back with us. Yeah, a few people nominated this one, including Tony Hall, Jake Winterbottom, George Foreman got caught out. Bradley Hilditch tweeted to Big George. He said, hi, George. And he put up a picture of the late, great Raul Moat. My uncle was a huge fan of yours. You was his favourite heavyweight of all time. Sadly, he lost his long, his lifelong battle with nits about eight and a half weeks ago. It would mean the world if you would notice this tweet. George did indeed notice it and commented it and said, means the world to me to read this tweet. Thank you for sharing with me. Must have been some man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was some man, George. You're right about that. Uh, a few people sent that in. Thank you to everybody who nominated <laughs> George Foreman. He's a good, strong front runner. Yes, Ozzy, you're quite right. Dr. Hitman, our thief Daniel, uh, the RBO champion, Royal Boxing Organization champion, is in action. He's headlining somewhere in Berry. So a nomination for him on his, on his latest venture. Can I just expand on that as well? Certainly. That not, not only it's, it's disappointing that the belt hasn't been uh, referenced, but the fact is it's being built, built as his first eight-rounder. So if the fact that he's not the RBO champion is one thing to go <laughs> there, but the fact is you can see Dr. Hitman contest his first eight-rounder in his career at the Village Hotel in Bury. So tickets are £35 general. £50 ringside. You can buy them direct off Dr. Hitman himself. You get a selfie included with every ticket. So, what's not to enjoy? It's, it's not a patch on the Budapest Fight Club. But I heard Scott yeah. Quiggs uh, walking to the arena from his front door with his gloves on as well, by the way. Well, why, why not, Andrew? It's uh, it's another selling point, isn't it? <laughs> you could see all the tickets you can get, aye? You really get a selfie with him for every ticket you buy. Yeah, did you not know that? For, for every ticket you buy, you get a bit, you get a selfie with Doctor Hitman. Oh dear, <laughs> Steve, I believe that as soon as I send you that fight post, you've put your uh, application for a press pass ticket in already. So, uh, see, the rhino should do that. The white rhino should do that selfie for every ticket sold. Man, he'd be the biggest ticket seller. All this, all the rhino heads to be wanting a selfie to get a ticket, you know, a picture with Dave Allen. That, that's his new marketing scheme. I hope Dave is listening it, to the podcast. It's a new marketing scheme for every ticket you bet, get, you get a selfie as well. Maybe yeah. a signed picture. Maybe a signed carry more trainer. A <laughs> 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 uh, nomination for Thief Daniel. Then always happy to nominate him. I love the fact that he's only fighting for an eight round, and then he is an RBO champion. I suppose it shows just how highly esteemed the RBO title is. Maybe we can win one of those one day. Uh, Jake Winterbottom has nominated Box Nation. The top five fastest fists in boxing, speed kills. These are Boxing World Weekly's fastest world champions in the game, uh, including Billy Joe Saunders at four and Katie Taylor at two. So nomination, Katie Taylor and Billy Joe Saunders been named amongst the fastest world champions in the game. Jake Winterbottom on that one. Sam has nominated David. On his day, Anthony Joshua is the best boxer in the world. Just go and watch the Vlad and Parker fights back, says David. 
Kaposa has been nominated by Tommy Cahill. Uh, Tenshin dominates Kameda, says Kaposa, proving the Mayweather fight was a fluke and he could take over the boxing world whenever he chooses. 81 likes for uh, Kaposa there, at Grabaka underscore Hitman. No, Hitman Daniel. Uh, Chad uh, Hogan, that's our friend Brian King, has nominated Scott Mulligan. Ryder stops Billy Joe Saunders, says Scott, and that's not even me being biased. Value of the week, says Chad. Scott jumped back in. Fuck off, you fat Scottish cunt. So not messing about there, getting stuck in on Brian. Uh, Brian has had a field day this week, nominating Michael G. Take four. Michael said, Eddie goes a step further and tries to uplift or promote the sport of boxing, even if he doesn't have a financial stake in it. Bob talks down everything he doesn't. Would like to see that stop. So even if Eddie doesn't have a financial stake in a show, he's always trying to big it up and talk it up for the for the sake of boxing. So Michael has been nominated from Chad for saying that. Who's left us? It's Rob. Hopefully we'll get back him back soon. Michael Benson, uh, say what you like about Conor Ben, but he's definitely going to be entertaining. Looks incredibly vulnerable at first, then blasts out Jussie Kovula in the second round. Danny Max says, impressive power for a welterweight. Joe Lanz has nominated Danny for that. Chad again, this time on Michael Naylor, who was tweeting to Dave Allen, who Rob just mentioned there, the white rhino. Dave, says Michael Naylor, if you do become a world champion, do you think someone should make a film about you? Uh, it will be like Rocky, but real life. Who would play you? Would there even be a montage? So there you go, Dave oh, Allen. Sorry, the... what fighter was that about? Uh, about Dave Allen. For fuck's sake. Dave go. Allen, the movie? Dave Allen, the movie, yeah. This is what I mean. About people wanting him to write a book and stuff like that. Now... The past couple of videos he's done, I thought he came across really well because he was straight up and honest. And then these twats that follow him are saying like, oh, who would play you in a film or write a book? Fuck off. This guy, oh. I'm not even going to start because I'm just sound like a broken record, but Dave Allen, the mo fucking movie, do one. Because that would be a joke. There you go, Dave Allen, the movie, coming to cinemas near you, possibly. Michael Naylor has been nominated for that one. Uh, Brian King has gone in on IFL TV. No, in fact, Frank Buglione, he was talking about Kovalev, he was talking about Yard, he was talking about the AJ loss. But he also said, amongst his interview, Mr Buglione, Dillian White is the best heavyweight in the world. Brian King took issue with that. Uh, Boxing Kingdom congratulated Artem Lobov defeating Pauli Malinaji via unanimous decision. Jesus, Jesus said, I was not impressed by either guy. I do believe it should have been a split decision for Paulie, though. Kevin Watson wasn't impressed. He said, Belly of the Week for this comment. Although, Kevin, the Belly of the Week could be for you. I haven't seen it. But a lot of people seem to be agreeing with Jesus, Jesus, that Paulie did enough to win. Uh, Porky's Corner, Belly of the Week for Tony Bellen. Tony Bellew, who has blocked Porky. And Barry Hearn appeared on my timeline earlier. I haven't screenshotted what Barry said, but it's always nice to see a, a nice big shiny blue tick on the timeline from Barry, but a nomination for Tony Bellew nonetheless. And also, the fi uh, finally, the last one I have is from British Boxing Blog. This is a bit of an ongoing saga. Take anything Paulie has said this week for Bellew of the Week, says British Boxing Blog. But since that has happened, British Boxing Blog has also nominated somebody else. It's one of these occasions where you get tagged in on something, and I have, no joke, had tweets all night back and forward between Mr Boxing Blog and somebody called Tommy McDonald flashing up while I've been hosting this esteemed podcast. He nominated Tommy McDonald for something to do with the Dillian White. McDonald responded and said, you're the belly of the week. And they'd be going backwards and forwards with screenshots and articles and trying to prove who's right. So for filling up my timeline, gentlemen, Tommy you're McDonald and British week. Boxing Blog, both of you are being nominated. <laughs> Rob, go ahead. No, I fuck about every side. Uh, the, the phone started playing up just as you were talking about Dave Allen in the Rocky movie. I wonder what it'd be like Parky Russ um, if Dave Allen is going off to fight Usyk. You can't win. You can't win, Dave. 
Um, but in terms of value of the week, has anyone else seen this or is this a dream I had? Because I didn't even click on the fucking link. I just saw it come up on Twitter. But it, uh, the Eubanks done a deal to go on Gogglebox. Eubanks Senior and Junior. Is that right? Yeah, I think they've done a deal to go on this season That's at Gogglebox. So I, it's correct. I have an idea for a show for Channel 4. They should have... Yeah, they should. They, uh, Channel Four. I, I've, I have a perfect idea for you. I hope you're going to make your fortune. Have me watching the Eubanks watching Gogglebox, and you can call it my big fat Irish red beard rapper throws hammers at the telly on Gogglebox, something like that. I don't know. I let the I let the marketing department do their work. <laughs> Kelly on the telly. <laughs> I am uh, fucking what? Who's going to watch that? Like the two of them ponders watching fucking Last of the Summer Wine or something. Who gives a fucking shit about that? Like, yeah. <laughs> Fucking assholes. Oh my god. Uh yeah, I don't really know where to go from that. Uh, so has anybody else got any other nominations then? Uh Paulie, strong week for him, Michael Naylor as well for saying about the Dave Allen movie. Quite a few people in the chat saying it's gotta be Paulie, hands down. Andy, any nominations from you for Value of the Week? I've no mate, I've been kinda of, you know on the download last week or so and that, but I'm I'm gonna vote for her and that. I mean the greatest comeback in history. Did this guy never watch Muhammad Ali or fucking Jesus, man? Or Tyson Fury, for example. You try to say that, you know, Fury's return, man, for like losing all that weight. Just forget about everything at a minute. Just losing that weight and getting back in a professional prize ring again compared to Andy Ruiz, this <laughs> fat Mexican. That was going to be the biggest comeback since fucking Ali. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for him to get knocked out again. He already has the narrative written because he says it's not the end of the journey. Because if AJ loses, he's only had 24 fights and he's only lost to one guy. So there's the, the train will continue to roll for AJ. A journey. A journey. Fox B in the chat says, barely the wait for Crawford's wife holding Aye. two slices of pizza. She's taking the piss now, he said. She's taking the piss now. <laughs> His career's at a junction, by the way. AJ at junction. Telling you. You team up with AB. Imagine the variations. Absolutely inconceivable. He loses that rematch. There's nothing. There's like you talk about must win. Oh my god, man! That if he was feeling the pressure before hanging in that fight, like 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 I said before, where he was like losing his shit about people telling him or demanding he fight Fury and Wilder and that, and he's mouthing off or let them fight him, let them fight each other and all that sort of stuff. I kind of thought that then that mentally he wasn't as strong as what I thought. But as you say, if he's been getting battered about the ring and stuff, and sparring and getting knocked out like that, you know, he, there is, as I say, it's inconceivable that he loses that, that, that rematch. If he does, it's going to be the biggest smoke and mirrors career in a long, long time that I can recall. It will be. You never know, AJ could end up fighting Saul Farrow or maybe Dave Allen or somebody like that. Gabe, any nominations? If not, then tell us who you're going for this week. I fancy Big George, actually, for getting caught by Raul Moat. Who you got, Gabe? Gabriel. You there, Gabe? No sign from Gabe. No signs of life. We'll try and check in on him very shortly. You just mentioned me there, actually. says, Andy, sorry, I had to go to the clan. So All right, okay, no problem. Yeah, I get a committee meeting of the clan this, uh, this Sunday. <laughs> Make oh, a quick yeah, shot. There he is. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to get a drink. I just got back. I heard it. I had my laptop turned up so I could hear what was going on. And I was coming back from the other room. 
And I heard your comments, you little <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. This is a good. This is a good race. You know, I feel like Paulie got jobbed last night. I feel like he he fought a good fight and he won. So I'm not gonna give him my vote. I'm gonna go with uh, Hearn. I'm gonna go with Hearn. Oh, two for Eddie Hearn. This could be an unexpected victory for Eddie this weekend. Uh, only me with George Foreman. Then no love for Paulie at Aussie. Who are you going for? Oh, George Foreman, without a doubt. That. I mean, it's not his fault, but fucking hell. The way he felt Raul Moat was like a, a top fan is just, oh, well, one to forget. You never know, George Foreman could have Gaza turning up on the doorstep soon with a fishing rod. Who knows, Rob? Who <laughs> 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 you got, Rob? Is it, is it, bo- is it where's I your don't... balls, Connor? Where's your ball? I, I honestly thought I, I, I he hit me hit me two times throughout the whole fight. I know I got cut three cuts, but he only hit me twice. Um, no, no, like um, I think I quite like the idea of the Dave Allen Rocky movie. Like I mean, there's a franchise I could get on board with. Like you know, fucking instead of fucking uh, beating the fucking meat in the butchers, he's just down the back of Babe Station. Like one of them hung up on a rope, battering him, uh, training for the fight. I don't know. <laughs> 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 so wasn't I expecting know, that, but I think uh, I think Eddie Eddie uh, fucking hell, like he's he's talking shit already, like isn't he? This is like he's prepared for the spectacular backlash if it arrives. Like so, let's see it. So we give it to Eddie this week, but Dave Allen, Dave Allen, and Dave Allen two, Dave Allen three. You know, get on board. It could happen. There we go then. Who would have thought Eddie Hearn has won? Congratulations, Eddie. Not much is going for you at the moment, but the Boxing Asylum Nuthouse Belly of the Week Award is coming to you this weekend. So congratulations to you, Eddie Hearn. I just noticed in the chat there, it's good to see that we're bringing people together. Uh, Hamed has written, uh, since Jason Chukwu mentioned Madeline McCann, I've started watching the series on Netflix. Good series. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my god! <laughs> let's not let's not stop there. Are they innocent? Did they have a hand in it? Too? Where did you sit on the fence with all this? Was the, Nef- was the Netflix documentary very pro McCann? The, the narrator had written a, a book in their favor previously. Let's fucking open it all up for discussion. Don't stop there. See what Chuckwood brings out to the party. And just to add insult to injury, he actually, he actually misnamed him Robert Justin Chuckwood. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. Good stuff, Ahmed. I'm glad you're getting value there from us in the Madeline McCann story. Let's end it there, shall we, everybody? Thank you for coming on. Rapping Rob Kelly joined us. So did Ozzy Smith, Gabe Lewis, Andy Patterson were here. Dominic Henry as well. Good to hear from Dominic. Who knows who'll come on next week? We shall see. I've been Steve Wellings. Catch you all same time, same place. Bye.